guys are still talking about that shit? Stuff you should know. I'm Vengeance again, also known as Ben, <laughs> the man who knows too much about Batman. And with me to talk about the Batman again is my co-host. <laughs> I couldn't think of any cool name this time. <laughs> yeah, so Andrew it's bro. Andrew, bro. Everybody, this time I Andrew, made it. bro, and I will discuss the historical <laughs> and cinematic influences on this latest Batman movie. Though we will be covering some of the comic book influences we missed last time, since. We had more than one day to prep for this episode, so... Yeah, yeah. Yes, we had a good week or so. We can also get to see some of the different reactions over the week as it went on. Because whenever you get sort of a preview screening like this, it, it's interesting because you, you don't really know what other fans are really going to respond to it with. So it's interesting to see the reception go over the days and, and the weeks to come, so... It's been like mostly good, mostly positive. It's yeah. definitely like it. Some people just don't like it, which yeah, I find interesting. Yeah, I think that's kind of inevitable with any, like yeah. any superhero movie, any major movie that happens. There's going to be some people like that. Yeah, I've had people tell me that Guardians of the Galaxy is like they they hate it. So their their least favorite Marvel film. I'm like, interesting. Yeah, are you kidding me? But that's just that's their opinion. Mm. Well. We'll start first, I guess, with the extra comic book influences that got some contributions from some of the fans on our last episode, so stay tuned if you were one of those who added to stuff, but uh, we'll then go into the historical influences, and then after the break, the cinematic influences, and so if you haven't checked out our The Batman vs. Comics episode beforehand, check that out first, and then come back. So, if you already checked that out, then you can continue. So, I guess let's dive in. So, this is a pretty much similar aesthetic as we're showing up here. So the posters right. for the Batman seem to evoke this uh, black and red palette, very similar to the Batman Year One cover. But that's not the only one with this type of cover. We also have Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Dark Victory, which people sort of already were pointing out when the first Batsuit footage of Pattinson came in, when it was that red light, and yeah. you just slowly saw the pan up to his suit. So that was cool. And Batman Curated on Twitter pointed out this Paul Gulacy cover of Legends of the Dark Knight number 11, which looks even closer because the shadows sort of create this red bat on his chest, kind of like in true. that poster. So yeah. that's cool. We also get some comic book references in the promo art. Lee Bermejo did some art that replicated the Batman Year One art from the final issue, Chapter 4, A Friend in Need. Very deliberate here. It even has the, the tagline at the top. He's out to clean up a city that likes being dirty. He can't do it alone. So, <laughs> okay, that's great. Uh, but since we're looking at posters, here's something that I know is highly coincidental because March 4th, 2022 was not the original release date. But the Batman was released on March 4th, 2022. In post-crisis canon, March 4th is the date of the first meeting between Batman and Riddler in Detective Comics Annual Number 8. Questions multiplied that's mystery. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Because Riddler leaves the, uh, he leaves basically the riddle, what day do soldiers hate the most? And Gordon figures out it's March 4th and shows up there at March 4th. Riddler's throwing the dynamite off the rooftop. And that's when Batman shows up being like, who are you supposed to be? The question mark man? So <laughs> that's what we got here from Detective Comics Annual number eight. We talked about it a little bit more in depth in our Patreon on the Riddler origins. So 
that's cool. Next is Alex Ross noting this one, which is basically, it's a side shot of Batman, but I think Ross is just having fun here in terms of just like stuff that he's done that he saw some similarities of in the promo material. So, yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then some behind the scenes or supplemental stuff to add to. We both got that copy of The Long Halloween, basically the first issue in the theater. There's an interview on the back page with Robert Pattinson where he talks about the different comics he read. He did talk about Darwin Cook's ego, but he also talked about two other Batman comics, Shaman and Batman Damned. Okay, so, interesting pulls. Yeah, uh, more obscure ones. Batman Shaman was the story that kicked off the Legends of the Dark Knight uh, comic book series and is set around the same time as Batman Year One. Flushes out some more of Bruce's training, his early days donning the bat suit. You could honestly read it as a companion piece to Year One and get even more out of it. It's underrated. It's underread. Meanwhile, Batman Damned is known as the comic that showed Batman's dick. So moving on. <laughs> I have not read Pat that one, so I don't have much Pattinson's more to say about favorite. It. Yes, I enjoyed that one. Yes. By the way, we talked a lot about ego. Real quick, where did, where did ego show up in this movie? I will show you actually. Okay, you. Oh, it's coming one, up. Okay, there is one thing you'll have to wait a bit, but there is one thing that showed it because I I thought about it too. I didn't feature ego in the last episode because I just just like oh okay maybe it was just a general spiritual influence and then. I think I saw somebody on Twitter point it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. So I'll show you guys when we get to that. Okay. Uh, we also have some information from the adult prequel novel Before the Batman by David Lumen. I actually did listen to all of it on Audible between the last recording and this one. And it does cover that the future Riddler, Edward Nashton, whoops, was a delivery boy. This is coming from Questions Multiply the Mystery. Again, Detective Comics Annual number 8 from 1995. Written by Chuck Dixon, art by Kieran Dwyer, coloring by Richmond Lewis, and lettering by Albert de Guzman. So, um, something about Riddler just hating being a DoorDash driver is, I guess, part of his origin <laughs> in some things. It's so. beneath his uh, <laughs> massive intellect. But you can see this forced smile on the right and says, I was in hell, <laughs> is the caption here. <laughs> right, right, right. So... Uh, a major thing revealed in the young adult novel is the reason why the Gotham orphanage looks pretty shitty. So in the movie, Batman brings up the Waynes donated their estate to be the orphanage after the tower was built so that the family could move into the tower and donate Wayne Manor into becoming the orphanage for, you know, for those who needed it. By the time we see it, of course, it's just run down. It's full of drop heads. It's <laughs> basically just completely messed up. And the novel reveals the reason why it turned into that is because the Riddler, before he became the Riddler, tried to burn it down. So mm. Riddler is partially responsible for trying to burn down Wayne Manor, which I think is just like, that's a huge thing to put in a young adult prequel novel and not in the movie. But maybe this is, again, this is likely something that the author came up with and not something that like Matt Reeves actually thought of. Because I'm sure I he don't... would have put that in. Look, Matt Reeves, he's probably very busy. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he, no offense to this writer, but yeah. he's probably never read this. <laughs> the writer probably got an early screener yeah. or something and Wait then the turned this book out, mm -hmm. you know, and did a good job with what he, I'm assuming, David, more yeah, than yeah. likely was he. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, did the best that he could. So. Yeah, I mean, don't. This is fun. I'm sure there's some good stuff in it, but it's probably not canon at the yeah. same time, you know. So if we were to take it canon, then this would continue with yeah. tradition. 
but uh, it looks like this whole Wayne Manor being burnt down thing is it's not the first time we've seen it. It's in The Dark Knight Returns. It was done in Batman Begins. It was also done in the final season of Gotham. So, uh, yeah. which, you know, is another version of it happening before Bruce even becomes Batman. So we keep kind of going back in time. It starts with The Dark Knight Returns when Bruce is like towards the end of his career. Then Batman Begins does it when, you know, it's basically his first week as Batman. And then Gotham does right. it before he even is Batman. And so does the <laughs> prequel novel. So it's interesting all the different ways they try to do this. I think it's just writing wise, you want to uh, attack the heart of the hero. Yeah. And you know, obviously your house is is part of your heart more most of the time. I mean, mm-hmm. if they're if they're coming from a broken home, it's another fucking situation. Yeah. And their their house is kind of broken. But anyway, yeah. he likes his mansion. More mm-hmm. it's mostly good. Alfred's there and everything. So yeah, you attack you attack the hero's heart. Yeah. So I, I could see uh you know, this is why this pops up a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some casting information. Matt Reeves said he was inspired to cast Paul Dano after seeing him play a beach boy. So, according to an IndieWire <laughs> article, oh, that came this out recently, was a, I forgot. I heard about this movie. Yeah, yeah okay. He okay, played okay. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys in the movie Love and Mercy. <laughs> he played the young version of Brian. John Cusack played the older version. But uh, apparently, Matt Reeves watches this. You know, Reeves is smarter than all of us. We're looking for like who can play genius masterminds, and he's looking at <laughs> other qualities of people when it comes to casting Riddler. And he says, "Quote." That character, he's caught up in his artistry and he struggles to communicate with those around him. That was spiritually connected to the idea of this isolation that the Riddler felt. The Riddler is a product of our time, the way that people become isolated online and retreat to mental activities that substitute for not having contact. Mm, Interesting. I mean, yeah, it's cool. It's this cool stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. I so, kind of want to see that. I, I like. I grew up with listening to all this oldie shit, so I do uh, want to see that movie. Yeah. I want to see how Dano was in it as well. I was about to say, I didn't know he could sing, but then he does sing Ave Maria in this one. <laughs> on <laughs> key. Mean, kinda, so. Was it on key? I'm, ba- I'm bad <laughs> at that. I'm, I'm a fan of music, but I don't <laughs> enough, know much about the <laughs> fucking one, yeah. inner workings of it. <laughs> so... Uh, along similar lines, Matt Reeves said he was inspired to cast Robert Pattinson as Batman after seeing the film Good Time, which I have not seen yet. It's one of those movies that I'm just like, all right, I should put it on my Netflix queue. And then when you have time to see it, Netflix has taken it off. <laughs> so you oh, can't man. watch it. Fuck that. Yeah. So this Twitter user, Johnny Sobsack, points out that the drophead robber in the opening is actually dressed in a similar way to Rob's character in Good Time with sort of the big uh, sort of reddish jacket over like another grayish jacket. And apparently the name of the convenience store that he robs in the opening of the Batman is called Good Times. I haven't, I didn't catch that, but maybe he's right. What drug would you most liken drops to? Like, was it kind of like ecstasy, maybe? Maybe because when they find the drop heads in the orphanage, it seems like they're just, they're just kind of strung out. Like they're not really. It's like heroin kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're not like amped up. It's not like Coke. Yeah. They just snort it's, it and suddenly they're able to shoot up, you know, just downer. like a Scarface. Yeah. Yeah. They're downers, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I assume it's something like, what were they, how were they taking it? Was like a fucking, like a droplet kind of thing? I'm not really kinda, sure. We they just do it saw... in that scene with the DA and everything, right? Ooh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think he, about He does that. like actually take it. I think it's a drop, but I, yeah, yeah, we have yeah, to see yeah. it again, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was mainly thinking about the the dropheads in the orphanage, but yeah, that's true. It's in the it's in the scene with the DA. 
drug deep dive for drops <laughs> coming. The next drugs week. of the Batman universe. <laughs> superhero stuff you should know. I did love that there was a fake drug in it, though. That was yeah. kind of cool. It did add to the mythos, too. I'm just like, oh, I guess this fits. So, Dude, Gotham's run down, man. They're gonna, yeah. It's going to be a drug problem in Gotham. There's always going to be something. Not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, drugs are a big part of Green Arrow's shit, too, right? So, like, this oh, is yeah. not new to DC whatsoever. So, yeah. Also, actor, British actor Jay Lycurgo plays the gang member in the beginning who's reluctant to beat up the innocent man and then gets scared off by when Batman shows up. Lycurgo probably seems familiar to many DC fans. He plays Tim Drake on Titans. He actually was cast That's cool. on Titans as Tim Drake after he played this role. Because remember, this this stuff was shot back in like 2019 or so. That's true. That's true. It's been a while. Yeah. It was shot in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Or just yeah. before it, a lot of it. So yeah, I think this footage was 20% before the pandemic. So, you know, yeah. he got to play that role later, but we kind of got to see him as Tim Drake before this movie. So it's kind of funny how that works. Let us talk about now cinematic language <laughs> or <laughs> actually that's too haughty of a term probably but anyway fucking hints on in the frame or whatever fucking he's he's got half his paint on yeah. this he's he's kind of half in half out with he's the conflicted. game yeah yeah he is a conflicted person so uh it's it's either that those thema- that thematic element or uh in the story that's how that gang works because he's not fully in it yet probably a bit of both or it's both yeah, yeah i'd say it's both yeah 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 you know like you only get to paint half your face and then you get to paint the full face when you beat the shit out of somebody and then you know he's also <laughs> conflicted at the same time so yes it yes, works yes. for a character who's only on screen for really a couple minutes but already has you know some depth to him so that's pretty yes cool, i thought we also have a couple batmen in the cast outside of pattinson Jeffrey Wright isn't just Gordon. He was the voice of Batman in the Batman Audio Adventures podcast on HBO Max. A lot more comedic than the version that we saw on screen. <laughs> okay. And yeah. then the Penguin himself, Colin Farrell, was almost Batman in the unmade Batman versus Superman movie from 2002, which we covered at the end of the year last year. So okay. uh, it's another thing. Also, interesting connection between Zoe Kravitz and Jason Momoa, for those who don't already know. Zoe Kravitz is the daughter of singer Lenny Kravitz, and Lisa Bonet. Lisa Bonet is married to Jason Momoa, which means they're getting divorced, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but apparently they got back together. So I don't. Oh, even they know did. At this point. Yeah. Oh shit. So, okay. All right. All right. Who knows by the time this episode is released? <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. 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 But technically, Catwoman is the stepdaughter to Aquaman. So that's kind of cool. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact is that Peter Sarsgaard, who played the DA Gil Coulson in real life, is married to Mackie Gyllenhaal, who was Rachel in The Dark Knight. So That's right. Ryan That's right. Unicom brings up, quote, congratulations, Peter Sarsgaard and Maggie Gyllenhaal for being the first married couple to have each been blown up during failed rescue attempts <laughs> by two different cinematic Batman. A rare honor. That, that, that is true. Very rare. Very rare honor indeed. Uh, that also guy, both so perfectly cast. I yeah. thought he's just so like such a perfect level of creepy. Yet also you know? conflicted, where you kind of you kind yeah. of feel bad for him at the end, where he's just like, "No, I'm ready to die. I got a family. I don't want to do this and that type of stuff." And you're just like, "Oh, like you're corrupt. You might be a piece of shit, but you kind of redeemed yourself at the end in some weird way." So uh, yeah. that was there, and he also was Hector Hammond in the 2011 Green Lantern movie. For those who tried to deny the existence oh, of that yeah. movie, he was a previous yeah. DC villain. 
He's been, he's been around the block. He's in a yes. much better one this time. <laughs> yes. Hopefully we can agree on that internet. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I don't think the stars of this are going to deny having been in it, as opposed to, like, Ryan Reynolds and Taika YTT always joke that, like, oh, we, we've never worked together, even though, like, they're okay. both in Green Lantern, so... <laughs> Uh, and then the last, oh, man. all right, here's a deep cut I found out is this dude. So this is British actor Bronson Webb in the dark Knight as a henchman to the Joker. You might recognize the background as being the scene where Heath Ledger's Joker kills Gamble, but mm-hmm. we met him again in this last movie. Cause he's the guy at the very end. Who's the Riddler follower who gets unmasked and says, I'm vengeance. So, Oh, 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 he's aged. No offense, but yeah. Well, I mean, he also got fucked up by the, the stuff. So That's he put a lot true. Of things and saran wrap and stuff on him. But yeah. Uh, he looks a lot more like hardened these days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like way more like. That's what happens when you work for the Joker. He could whoop, he could whoop people's ass. In this movie, he, yeah. well, I know he just, he changed his look or something. But yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. that was cool. He's the go-to henchman guy to get, I guess. So that's cool. I guess so. Some uh, other stuff. Boss Maroney is kind of in the movie, and you see him in the newspaper. But one thing to point out, when I guess they shot B-roll footage of Maroney outside for him, like, getting arrested, for them to put on the news, and for them to put on, like, the newspaper articles. But I do remember this set picture of the actor on it, and everyone said, there's a guy with an umbrella. It must be Colin Farrell's penguin. I'm sure you remember this, right? right? Where people are just like, Colin Farrell's penguin. Yeah, people go crazy over these shots. He's got white hair. And and to add to this, around the same time, for some reason, Colin Farrell also dyed his hair the same color. So I can't quite blame <laughs> he, the internet for putting things together and being like, well, clearly, this is the he, new Penguin. He could have... The thing is, look, I don't know for sure, because probably this movie's not out yet or anything, yeah. but it's in the realm of possibility that he dyed his hair for a fucking another role he did because he knew he was going to be wearing all the fucking prosthetics for this one so his hair could be anything yeah he would go on talk shows and say something about like it being for like other reasons of him like changing it up and of course nobody believed him because they thought it was for penguin but then obviously we've now that we've known or we've seen what it turned into that wasn't the case it was just it's just a complete coincidence this guy is maroney and Farrell's Penguin looked way closer to the comic book Penguin than what we got. Though I did think if this was the look, they might have been kind of going for a cool like black and white thing because, you know, penguins are black and white. But again, glad that they went with the traditional look, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was cool, man. Yeah. I ain't more than no Goyle. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Looney Tunes henchman, and I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. Yes. Uh, also worth pointing out, Maroney was busted before Bruce became Batman, it seems. In the movie, it doesn't seem like Batman was involved at all with that bust. And in the prequel novel, if we are going to put that as canon, Bruce finds out about Maroney's bust before he dons the suit. Some time has passed anyway since the Maroney trial in order for, you know, these major figures to have become who they are. You've got Mitchell as the mayor. You've got Savage as the commissioner. Colson as the DA. So it seems like Maroney already might have already had his trial. Does this mean Harvey Dent already got the acid to the face? Is there already Two-Face? I don't know. We'll see. So, okay. moving on. When it comes to the Batsuit, this was pointed out when it was first revealed, but it does look like Batman's forearm harpoons are similar to the Talons in the Court of Owls. We still don't know why these were added, because I saw, we saw it a second time, and we still didn't really see him use those things. So This got cut, uh, man. Like, why would something be got such cut, a big yeah. part of the, big noticeable part of the suit? Everybody thinks mm-hmm. he'll use them. 
I know, and, right? Yeah, it was just cut. It, they there was just something that couldn't make the three hour cut. Man, I don't know what it was. Also, you he know? doesn't seem to have the the three fins, the standard three fins on the forearms. He doesn't oh, have them. That's right. On the suit. That's right. I I do. That's one of my favorite parts of the bat suit, actually. Yeah. So yeah, maybe in the next one. Hopefully, yeah. All right. When Batman saves the man at the train station, the man tells Batman, don't hurt me, showing that he's scared of Batman 2. Also right out of Earth 1, with the homeless person saying the same thing. Apparently, the scene is also controversial. We won't go too much into it, but people are sort of criticizing the Asian representation in this movie and the fact that there is an Asian man being shown about to get beaten in light of the whole stop Asian hate type of stuff that's been going on. A few things there, though. One... Again, this scene was shot in 2019 before any of that stuff. Not like, not like there's never been Asian hate crimes, but it was before the big <laughs> surgeons. It was it was before yeah. the big surgeons of it. So I don't think there was any sort of commentary on that. This was shot before that even happened because we already have footage of that in the 2020 trailer when he was beating. You know, he he does the whole "I'm vengeance" thing to the guy. So I don't think that's the case. And then also, it's. The whole idea is somebody who steps in and intervenes. That's what Batman's there to do. It's not trying to like condone or support that type of behavior. It's trying to show that it's a bad thing. So this is it's just it just feels like it's just trying to have diverse casting, man. And it's just how this played out this time. That's how I not that my opinion is anywhere near what your opinion would be on this issue. But yeah, I'm fine with this. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just how I read it yeah. anyway. Uh, moving on, the GCPD officers, including Officer Martinez here, come from Precinct 39, which is a reference to 1939, the year Batman debuted in Detective Comics number 27. Uh, the letters, I mean, not the letters, <laughs> the numbers 39 <laughs> are also on the license plate to Coulson's car, apparently, uh, which could also be a connection there, too. Okay. Um, Martinez here is not a character in the comics. Honestly, I kind of wish it was Montoya in it, just simply because, mm. you know, get another comic book character into this. She's never been in a film before. You know, that would have been cool too, but this guy was fine. Yeah, he was cool. Yeah, he did yeah. a good job. It was funny though when he's just like fucking, you know, he didn't say fucking, it, but it's just like, what a freak when he sees Batman come yeah. in and then he sees Bruce at the funeral. He's like, hey, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was good. Was it was good. Yeah. Uh, Riddler puts up newspaper articles on the walls of the mayor's place, which includes the Gotham Gazette. The Gotham Gazette is a comic book newspaper, been around since Batman number four. Other name drops include that uh, the bomb addressed to Bruce Wayne is to Wayne Tower and says that it's on Kane Street, which is true to the comics and named after the infamous Bob Kane. <laughs> 10 plus <laughs> it, himself. It might have said, I forgot what it's the number was. It might have said 10 Kane Street. Oh, uh, oh shit. <laughs> Shit, man. So I'll have to double check. Another excuse to rewatch this movie. I hope that the graphic <laughs> designer that made that listens to this podcast. If we contributed to this movie in any way. 10 plus Kane Street. Please show yourself. In, uh, well, you have to, you'd have to prove it, though. You'd but, have to prove it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just comment below. And, and right. try to prove it some way yes. if you did work on this movie in any fucking capacity. And, yeah, anyway. So why the address on the thing? It's like, I'm glad you asked that. I was listening to the West, this one superhero stuff you should know podcast. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. I forever associate Bob Kane with 10 plus. <laughs> it's a fucking legacy, bro. <laughs> In the video where Riddler shares Thomas Wayne's dirty laundry, he also shares a letter from the law firm of Miller and Moore, obviously a reference to Frank Miller and Alan Moore. 
Uh, other name probably was like, take my name off. Take my name off, please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to worship a snake now. (laughs) Dude, you've seen those fucking videos. He talks about, I'm not going to put down anybody's religion or anything, but he does kind of like he made up his own God to worship. I'm not. So I I feel like I'm not stepping on any toes because he fucking says he made it up. Yeah. He knows he made it up, but he still worships it. It's so strange to me. He looks like a guy who would do that, though. <laughs> he looks like a fucking, like, yeah, he's one of those like fucking, it's, it's like... the least surprising thing ever. Yeah, like, um, what was that fucking, like, those dirty-looking wizards and fucking The Hobbit or some shit? Like, one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. Radagast. He looks like a wizard, yeah. He looks like Radagast. Radagast, yes. He looks like Radagast <laughs> the Brown. <laughs> So, uh, I've also pulled up here, the DC website brought up other little name drops that I might not have seen, because when you're watching the car chase, you don't, I wasn't necessarily looking for Easter eggs at that point, but it does say on the freeway stuff here, Robinson Bridge, which is named after Jerry Robinson, one of the famous contributors to Mm. the Batman mythos, co-creator of Joker and Robin. Uh, The other one says the Hinkley River, which could connect to the borough of South Hinkley from Batman Gotham Knight. And the Dark Knight Rises. You've got Tricorner here, which is just another area. Just all sorts of different places they drew from the comics here. So you got that. Gotham Heights, Port Adams, Grant Park. Those are all mentioned when Penguin uh, sees that Falcone's getting arrested. He tells him to enjoy his time in Blackgate. So that's a Blackgate name drop. And then, of course, the big one is Catwoman going to Bloodhaven at the end. That was cool. That's the first yeah. time ever in a movie, right? I, I For- think so. I don't think Bloodhaven was mentioned at all in the previous stuff i don't if if there was a time it might have been mentioned it might have been in the uh, snyder stuff there's no way no i would have remembered that that, yeah but but we would have remembered yeah Yeah. uh but yeah let us know if we missed that in the snyder stuff we it might have been in like the snyder cut of justice league i don't remember but Mm -hmm. anyway uh enlisting some of the help of the superhero stuff you should know community i decided to change things up in our fan comments and include some of the stuff that you guys might have mentioned in the last episode so fan of ours, Dustin Gibbons, points out that, quote, the tower, Wayne Tower, reminded me of the WB cartoon, The Batman. So here we have, as a comparison, in that cartoon for The Batman in 2004, Wayne Manor was more of a tower, less of a mansion, more tall than wide. So interesting observation there, Dustin. I think, I don't know if that was necessarily part of it, since, you know, Wayne Tower is a staple in it, but it is another case of him living inside of a tower. So that's cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, last week I brought up that Bruce Wayne's drifter disguise inspired by his disguise going out to fight crime in year one, but it also ties into his disguise from the end of the comic where he's a motorcyclist who keeps anonymous due to his helmet. So Dan here has brought us a similar image of Bruce taking his helmet off. We've also got similar scenes of Bruce going down into the Wayne Terminus Batcave using his motorcycle through the tunnels, just like Bruce does in Zero Year. Also... Mm -hmm. Both Batman Earth 1 Volume 2 and the Batman have these shirtless scenes. So Bruce gets into an argument with Alfred and then changes into his normal clothes and has a moody, you know, donning my black shirt over my head type of thing. So I mean, this is like a kind of staple these days. Just, you know, Mm -hmm. show the scars. The male form also, you know, like scars in the male form, yeah. Like, like Cap had like the ridiculous biceps in that one movie where he's like holding the shit together. And, like, <laughs> Civil War, yeah. Civil War and like, you know, this is like an almost, maybe not Every Doctor Thor. Strange, but like there's been a lot of movies where they yeah. do this. Yeah. Thor for sure, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
It's going to happen in, in Love and Thunder. Uh, he looks bigger than ever in that movie. I know. Those, so they, those, they've got to have it at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get to Batman's visit to the Iceberg Lounge, and I thought it would be cool to bring up this scene from Detective Comics number 570, written by Alan Davis, art by Mike Barr, and inks by Paul Neary, letters by John Workman, colors by Adrian Roy, and it shows something very similar to what we saw in the movie. Batman knocks on the door, beats up the pouncer, then walks in. Everyone sees him. So <laughs> I do want to point out, because uh, we've talked about like how much stealth is necessary or was part of the Pattinson Batman compared to Bale's. It wasn't uncommon, though, for Batman to go through the front door in a lot of different scenarios. The idea of him kind of doing the stealth, like just sort of magically showing up all the time. I feel like that's something that sort of just evolves more and more as you get further into the comics. I don't think, you know, that's not around in the 60s that much. You know, he's just more or less a public figure. They didn't um, have like the super ninja shit till later, yeah. probably. Yeah, I did. I did kind of wish he didn't go through the front door, but like, I don't know. It's not going to break the movie for me. I think it's it in the second year, so I think it depends on the, the context and the tactics. So, in I feel like early days, Batman, like in Batman Begins, when he's just picking off the guys, like you know the alien, an alien, uh, at that scene in Batman Begins, it's 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 his first night out, so he wants to create that urban legend. And we've seen like a whole hour of him getting training from the League of Shadows. So that makes sense in that context for him to do that. In the Batman, he's not really there to fight anybody. Uh, Ironically, he does get into a big fight, but he's there basically to to question, give information. It's his second year. People know, like, people aren't questioning, is the Batman real? They know Batman's real in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, he's kind of just using his reputation as the weapon. That's why he's just like, you know who I am, like that part of stuff. And I'm also like, well, he's also never really been to this place before. He is the world's greatest detective, but he's not automatically going to know where Penguin's office is once he sneaks in, you know, through another door or something. So I'm kind of just like, eh, I'll give it to him on this one because of the different purpose. Notice later on when he's there to stop Selena from killing Falcone, that's when he goes all stealth mode. Yeah, that's true. He changed the tactic at that yeah. point, which was which I appreciate. Yeah, he's changing the tactic because someone's life is in danger and he's there now for a fight, as opposed to the previous one where I'm just like, I'm just here for information, which is what we see here in this 80s comic where he's just, he kind of comes in and his presence creates that intimidation. So right, right, I think it right. just depends on what he's there for. So. I will never get tired of shots of Batman grabbing a dude from the shadows and I don't know. Like, <laughs> It's just doing like it in in any media, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, and choking them out or whatever, you know, non-lethal, of course. But yeah, yeah, it'd be. Yeah, that, that's stuff's always great. Great stuff. Always. Yeah. yeah. Uh, visiting the Iceberg Lounge, Batman learns that one of the people working for Penguin is a cop named Kenzie, who is actually from the comics. I did not know this because I haven't actually read all of Gotham Central yet. I know you I haven't know. read every Batman comic. <laughs> You're not um, Grant Morrison. <laughs> Grant Morrison's not always that, in Gotham Central I, either. <laughs> I believe him. I believe I truly believe him. He yeah. probably has read every single Batman comic. Probably, yeah. I'm curious yeah. what he thinks of this movie. It would be interesting, man. Yeah. Moore's definitely not seen it, so we don't can't count on him. <laughs> last he said the last superhero movie he saw was Batman 89. <laughs> so it's been a while. What the fuck, man? Like, how could you be so into the comics when I give a fuck about the movies? Like at all. Yeah. He's just that anti-movie about it. I just don't. I just don't get it. But I'm not him, and he's obviously an amazing writer. So yeah. whatever. 
Kenzie, the, the corrupt cop Kenzie, is from the comics. He's first introduced in Gotham Central number 32, written by Greg Rucka, art by Steve Lieber, letters by Clem Robbins, and colors by Lee Luridge. So he's a comic book character in this. I did not realize that when I was watching the movie, so that was cool. Uh, also during the Iceberg Lounge scene, <laughs> which this is great the second time you watch it, but you see Batman beating the shit out of those guys, and like if you look in like the foreground, you probably saw this too, you just see... <laughs> penguin just limping over <laughs> about to make yeah. his entrance so that yeah, was great. yeah 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 uh, so penguin's limp is of course meant to be like the waddle uh that penguin's famous for but even more so when his legs get tied together in the interrogation scene yeah yeah your sons of bitches <laughs> so uh, it's the worst spanish i ever heard <laughs> uh also similar to the robin lord taylor version where his waddle was actually a limp from an injury so it's a similar idea here uh, also similar to the Robin Lord Taylor version in Gotham, Colin Farrell says that his Oswald does not like being called Penguin. I don't mm. think that was actually shown in the movie from the two times that I saw it, but it's likely going to be explored a lot in the upcoming Penguin spinoff show. So that's something to look forward to. This is the thing, right? What if the Batman 2 is just Penguin? Like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like they As set the him up. Yeah. Yeah. Like and he's got that that shot looking out at the mm -hmm. the city. He's gonna have this rise to power. Yeah, it's it's po I mean it's possible they, it, because that's how they would they would treat it as a serial as like a show. The, everybody wants to see Joker, of course, yeah. but I don't know. Like the, it's it's in the realm of possibility that it's just gonna be fucking Penguin. I think for the HBO Max series to be like a bridge between the two. If they really wanted to make him the main villain, they kind of yeah. need to amp him up than just being Falcone's replacement as the mob boss. So I think that's when, you know, he's starting to see you bring in other like villains, you know, small timer, that type of stuff that show that you get, if to be a big shot in Gotham, you can't just be a mobster anymore. You have to have a thing. You got to have a gimmick. And so like, maybe that's yeah. when he starts becoming a little closer to the comic book penguin you know he doesn't have to necessarily do the whole monocle cigarette holder in the top hat type of thing but you know him using birds him having the trick umbrella like that could totally i could see maybe not the current version of penguin with an umbrella gun but like after the next hbo max series and the sequel i could see him like i could see an umbrella gun work in this world oh dude totally i think yeah. the umbrella gun's totally fine in the reeves uh realistic universe we haven't seen it since batman returns it was yeah. not in gotham the, oh really it's not it's not really that cheesy to me maybe because not at all i've been brainwashed since i was a kid to accept <laughs> it but how many people even so there's how many people are like me out there yeah well, there's know? also just real life it was used in a real life assassination where the tip of the blade just like all they had to do was just cut the guy it was poison tipped the guy died it was a CIA thing? I think so. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll have to look it up, but I, I remember reading a specific spy story where, like, they assassinated the guy just using the umbrella. I'm like, and I think that was after the Penguin's, like, weapons in comics. So I don't know if it was inspired by Batman comics, but, like, it, it was definitely a thing where, yeah, this is a realistic thing. You don't need to have a lot of suspension of disbelief to know that you can hide a blade, you know, in a, yeah, it's an not umbrella. It's not that big of a, it's an element of surprise, which is great. Yeah. I don't, you know, what caliber bullet you'd put in there, I don't fucking know. But, yeah. you know, how many rounds you would get, who the mm -hmm. fuck knows. But, you know, it's probably, probably not meant to be a fucking Uzi. You know, yeah. it's meant to get like just a one off shot, probably. Yeah. True. Aim well, Penguin. Aim well, <laughs> Oz. 
next, yeah, next Selena's apartment in the East End is also from Batman Year One, according to the production notes. In both versions, she lives on the upper floor and uh, has this sort of little fire escape area for him to for her to leap out. And she also has a shit ton of cats, as Batman points out in the trailer. <laughs> You have a lot of cats. So I thought, uh, I thought that was good. Yeah, it was great. It's one of the funniest lines Batman yeah. says that in the yeah. thumb drive thing. Thumb oh, man. drive. Yeah. Thumb drive. So, like, uh, yeah. Uh, one interesting note is that the filmmakers don't consider Selena to be Catwoman yet in this movie. So Kravitz says, quote, in the future, this, her costume, will become some kind of cat suit and she will become Catwoman, but not yet. And also, I also took a look at the merchandise. The Funko figure of her, even with the mask on, just says Selena Kyle. It does not say Catwoman. Interesting. So yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't have a full evolution just yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. betting we're getting a cow in the next movie. Oh, I mean, you you kind of have to at, yeah, this, at point, this point, right? Yeah, yeah, you definitely would. Mm-hmm. By the way, I wanted to talk about real quick her fucking relationship with Annika. Yeah, uh, Annika is why was she killed by that guy again? I'm still parsing this fucking script, man. She well, was she knows that she Falcone, was Falcone was the informant. She knows that. Oh, so she, Falcone thought that she was going to snitch. Pretty much, yeah. Ah, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Because the mayor already snitched to her. Oh, that's right. Okay, so. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, dude, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm bad at like... I have to see it a few times before I get all these pieces. So yeah, thanks for that. That's why. That's why. That's how they get you in these things. It's just like it's a mystery. You want to come back for more. As I said, like it's smart for them to do a mystery, an even more mystery center type of thing for this because it, they make you want to see it again for the next time to put all the stuff together. Now that you know right, right, sort of right. how it comes together at the end. Right. 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 So neo noir, man. I think it's just yeah. For some reason, I it's hard for me to follow that stuff sometimes. But anyway, yeah, I, I got it now. Thank you. Yeah, moving on. Screen Crush pointed out, this is the Screen Crush video you shared to me. They pointed out that the Batman-Catwoman meeting is similar to Batman and Catwoman's first scene together in the long Halloween where he stops her right when she's broken into the safe. So that's cool. Also from the same comic, Carmine Falcone in the funeral seems to be accompanying a woman who is not Selina but is a completely different woman. As we talked about last time, there's that bait and switch where mm-hmm. it was like, we thought it was Zoe Kravitz from all the uh, set photos and turned out not to be. Apparently, according to Screen Crush, and I looked it up on IMDb, the credits list her as Carla. And in the comics, okay. Carla is Falcone's sister. So oh. he may have just been taking his sister to the funeral. They're like locked arm in arm, but they don't like do anything you wouldn't do with you know a female family member. So maybe that's the case. Um, right. In the funeral sequence, Riddler gives Coulson two minutes to solve the riddles correctly or he blows them up. This is similar to the Riddler in Earth-1 as well, who gave his victims time limits to solve riddles, or else he'd set off the bombs. So. Riddler doesn't seem to care that Batman's feeding him the answers. Nah, because he, he doesn't notice. He, I think he knows Coulson's not going to answer the last one, which is who's having fun rat. with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the video that Riddler leaks about the Waynes, the reporter's name is Edward Elliott, the one who was killed by Falcone. Uh, so we all talked about how this is a hush Easter egg, but one thing I forgot, Edward Elliott is a comic book character. He is the great grandfather to future hush Tommy Elliott. So he was introduced in the Gates of Gotham series about the founding of Gotham. I'm not Jonah really Hex sure. Jonah Hex is in that shit? <laughs> I don't think Jonah Hex is in Gates of Gotham, but I, it's been years since I've read it. 
Okay. But, uh, it's it's about the founding of Gotham, and, and it is Edward Elliot there. I'm, so I'm curious why they went with this name, because clearly it didn't take place that long ago that this reporter found out about stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, And you already got an Edward character with Edward Nashton, so I, I don't really get it. So anyway, uh, another user... Another fan of ours, Alex Haddon 330 brings up that the scene of Falcone talking to Bruce about his father's corruption is similar to the Telltale series because both of them take place in a similar setting by the pool table that we've got here. So that's a pretty good observation, Alex. Mm, yeah. The pool table doesn't factor into any other scene. They they literally could have set it anywhere, but they decided to have it in that specific thing. So yeah, that's it's just cool. some fucking inner sanctum gangster shit. Yeah. It, that's really just, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool it's connected there, but yeah. It's just it's just gangster visual, gangster <laughs> you know. It's yes. real. It's what Falcone does, dude. You know, it makes sense. The idea that the Waynes could have been killed in a mob hit does stem from the 1950s comic with the first Batman, where mobster Lou Moxon wanted revenge on Thomas Wayne. So that's where that comes from. And then we've got this, which I know you've noted before, Hopper's Nighthawks, the painting. Yeah, everybody uh, could yeah. probably got this yeah. one. Yeah, but there's also a year one connection, as you can see at the top right here. Uh, David Mazzuccelli did a diner scene with Gordon and Sarah Essen in the diner and called it Hopper, of course, at the top. (laughs) So it's all connected here. Uh, Paul Dano's Edward Nashton wears glasses, which seems to have been tradition ever since Jim Carrey. We've got Carrey's Riddler wearing that. We've got Alex Ross's Riddler, the Riddler from the Arkham Origins, the Arkham series, and Corey Michael Smith's Edward. So that's it's all there. just, I mean, I could see why this took hold because it's like the, you know, smart dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I use my brains, you know, <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And then for more Earth One influence, we have the fact that both versions of the Riddler, the Earth One Riddler and the Batman Riddler, have the newspaper article on his wall that says, Who is the Batman? As well as in asking Batman to input his password and finding a map of Gotham in his hideout. So, that's all there. Uh, and then one other thing I got to address because I didn't think about this when I saw the movie and a bunch of people has a theory. There's a theory that when Batman sees Catwoman's in danger towards the end, right? And he's like all fucked up from the shotgun. He gives mm-hmm. himself a shot and I'm just like, all right, it's a shot of adrenaline. I'm sure you thought it was a shot of adrenaline. I think I know what you're about to say because Maddie brought this up. Yeah. Some people are like, this is a shot of venom because yeah. it's got a green yeah. color and Batman got addicted to venom in the early days. And like, he's like got roid rage when he hits the henchman. I'm like, this is a huge stretch guys. Like if you're going to introduce venom, you need to actually introduce it. Like Occam's razor. It's adrenaline. <laughs> it's yeah. You know, green's just a cool looking color too. Maybe yeah. they wanted to kind of have fun and make people think that, but it's probably not venom. I do not see yeah. Matt Reeves doing Bane ever. Uh, not that he hates Bane, but it's it's already been done yeah. by the mo- very recently, con- you know, comparatively by Nolan, and uh, he'll probably do the Joker. But that's the Joker. That's another everybody that yeah. gets their hand on Batman's gonna do the Joker. Kind of have to, yeah, at some point. But Bane's not like that. So yeah, I th- I thought it was just interesting that they kind of had Batman take a drug i mean it's for a purpose for sure yeah it's to save someone and it mm-hmm. does from a practical standpoint in a realistic setting you does kind of make sense if you're going to get fucking knocked out like that you know you <laughs> you might as well have that on hand which yeah. you needed right smart so yeah. yeah it's just smart i i, I 
it's just an interesting choice they made there but you know yeah well, it, it was cool with me yeah I, th- I think if it was actually venom they would have like had more of an introduction to it earlier yeah where, like alfred's yeah. like here's the experimental thing you got from santa prisca or something like that and they're like oh shit and then later on he injects it and then you know let's hints for that but no it's just it's an adrenaline shot all right bro <clears throat> they do the fucking crossover comics again fucking marvel's venom eddie brock takes venom <laughs> It gets even bigger and then becomes Venom, dude, again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would have to, man. They need to do this Venom. again. <laughs> Venom what? squared. Look, maybe in look in 2025, just because it's the year 2025, will yeah. you, these two companies please do fucking one month of crossover comics again? Mm-hmm. You know, did it before. Just do it again. Yeah. It'll happen. It's going to happen. happen. At some point, there's so much they could do. Anyway. Uh, so you asked about Batman Ego. Yes. Here's the big thing for Batman Ego. Both stories end with Batman wanting to be a symbol for the good people, of somebody who's looking out for them, a symbol of hope. So both stories have this sort of voiceover narration of him deciding to be that, as well as, you know, in terms of what's visually happening, him holding a woman's hand for strength, so uh, to give her strength. So right. that's the big Ego connection here. So I thought... When I saw this, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's just I thought it was going to be more of the internal kind of things. That whole thing is, a well, I guess the switching to hope isn't is eternal internal, but. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a just a different just, type of movie. If it's if it's Bat Bruce versus Batman. In I know, I know. <laughs> we had no idea what we were going into when we saw this. I saw this movie really though so yeah but i mean i love these shots i thought this was great the fucking red flare was awesome again mm-hmm. keeping with the red and black theme of the movie yeah the, you know color thematics or whatever you want to call it the color theme color yeah. scheme uh anyway yeah um great a lot of dawn shots too again he meets catwoman on the fucking um you at know dawn, roof yeah. yeah they kiss mm-hmm. at dawn i think and then this yeah. is at dawn mm-hmm. this is a, this is a choice you know this is uh it's not just nighttime all the time. And I guess this, this here is like a new dawn, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, new beginnings. So, so yeah. Yeah. And then Selena's last line about Batman already being spoken for by the city is out of zero year, which ends with Alfred telling Julie, Julie Madison that Bruce is already spoken for. So, dude, love that line. And I learned this from Kevin Smith, actually, because he would joke like, about talking about Batman, like Gotham is his lady, you know, they <laughs> yeah. probably said that wording in the comics at some point. I don't think Kevin Smith made it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, saying you're already spoken for is so, so good. Yeah. Great Thanks, line. Kirk. I felt mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yep. Scott Snyder. And now Matt Reeves and Peter Craig and Mattson Tomlin. Good pull. Yep. Uh, all right. Done with the comics. Now we're going to go into the historical influences on the Batman. Oh, man. So let's start with real life. Uh, according to the production notes, the inspirations for the bat suits were Soviet pressure suits, Austrian army boots, as we see here, the ones that make the big clunk, clunk, mm-hmm. clunk as he walks in. And then the forearm gauntlets, which Matt Reeves calls van braces, uh, are based <laughs> on both shurikens, which is what we got here. Dan pulled this up. It looks pretty close to what we got. Oh, uh, let me, I'll, I'll add something here. Yep. Everybody knows Bo staff, right? Yeah. The long cylindrical staff, right? Mm-hmm usually six feet long so there's bow right mm-hmm. and then shuriken so shuriken being being a ninja star uh you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. bow shuriken it's a long cylindrical 
uh, shuriken. So there you go. Yeah. Again, it could have just been. There's got to be some shot they cut of him just literally pulling one out, throwing at a Riddler follower or something. <sighs> Dude, you know, it would have been so great. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> it, it was something was cut. Something yeah. was cut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, as we've discussed before, Riddler's outfit derives from Army Surplus Store materials, his mask being a winter combat mask. This was also confirmed for us by one of our fans, Aaron Quinn, who DM'd us uh, a picture of uh, a mask that he and his family have. So that's cool. Uh, that That's all from, like, homemade materials, which makes sense. He would get stuff. Edward Nashton would get stuff that, like, you could just get anywhere or stuff that he could, he could basically build. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Gotham, like many versions, is inspired by New York City, but specifically the 1970s era, which inspired the 2019 Joker movie. Uh, Definitely. Production, production designer James Chinlin said that the World Trade Center in the 1970s was, quote, a big inspiration. I saw these shards of steel going up in the skyline. I love the way these sorts of skeletal shapes in the skyline married with the gothic shapes, allowing us to create a world that felt simultaneously modern but not shining and new. You could see those representations of the failure of the system in the skyline itself. Which is a hell of a quote. I've had some older co-workers in the past Mm -hmm. that are from New York. And they said that like, they they said they kind of preferred it back in the day because Times Square was dangerous. And you didn't know what was going to (laughs) happen. Now it's just a tourist spot. (laughs) Now it's just Disneyland, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So that's cool. Also, other parts of New York that were inspirational, the Batcave was inspired by a real-life secret tunnel underneath the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. So Mm. Reeves said, quote, I remember there's an underground train station at the Waldorf Astoria in New York, and the myth, which I think is true, is that there's a train parked there all the time for whenever the president is in town, and if there's ever an emergency, they could take him through his secret tunnels through the Waldorf, and it would get him out of town discreetly. So that's the inspiration for this little Wayne Tower thing. Okay. Last major inspiration from New York is on real-life figures from New York on Jim Gordon, actually. So Jeffrey Wright said, quote, I looked at the current mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who's in the center there, a former cop I admired. He first came to my attention back in the 90s during these major police brutality cases in the city, so I used him as a touchstone. And now the current police commissioner of the NYPD is a black woman named Keechant Sewell, who's also here on the left. So I looked for real-life references to justify my place in this role, but I largely relied on the comics for the underlying psychology and emotional journey that the character undergoes. So that's pretty that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, best Gordon ever. No no offense to... Uh, uh, all the others. Fucking... Uh, yeah, all the others in the past. My, why am yeah. I blanking on his fucking name? Best actor alive. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's go into probably the most obvious inspiration, the Zodiac Killer on the Riddler. Yeah. So Matt Reeves said that this version of the Riddler, quote, made me think of the Zodiac Killer. He went around in a black, crudely made costume with an insignia and an executioner-type hood. In the darkest of dark ways, he's the real-world analogy for one of these rogues gallery characters. There was something very powerful and provocative in that idea. So I think that was pretty evident. We've also got, like, the spray-painted symbol type of thing on Mm -hmm. him. Uh, I forgot the Zodiac Killer had this getup. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Because he was very rarely seen but this is pretty this is pretty inspirational and then uh there's other things besides the look that seemed like they were inspirational the heavy breathing we hear from the riddler in the beginning seems reminiscent to me of what i saw in the zodiac movie from david fincher as well as in real life where robert graysmith would occasionally get calls late at night from the zodiac killer and all he'd hear 
is the heavy breathing on the other end. So okay. there's that. Uh, of course, there's the ciphers that the Zodiac Killer left. Uh, it's even difficult to tell which in this shot, which stuff is from Riddler and which stuff is from the Zodiac Killer. But on the left is is the hmm. Zodiac's cipher. On the right is from the movie, but even more so, Riddler leaves a whole cipher very similar to this uh, in the movie that I don't have a shot of because I don't think, uh, you know, this movie is not available in HD yet. So the best I could I, get was this picture. This is another part of the movie where I was like, it kind of went against my expectations, not not in a bad way per se, but I thought the cipher would be kind of uh, longer lasting. I thought it would be like kind of up until the end kind of thing, mm. but they kind of he kind of solves that like at the first step, and then it's kind of done. You know? Yeah, it was just to give the drive clue so he can find the thumb. Drive. Yeah, that's really it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, there's also the fact that Edward Nashton resembles the sketch of the Zodiac Killer's face. Which we've got here. <laughs> Look at this. Look at this. Oh my yeah. god, man. <laughs> this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also worth noting, the Zodiac Killer would inspire the film Dirty Harry, which definitely seems like, you know, it was obviously what put Clint Eastwood on the map for, you know, American films, uh, but also was almost a reaction to, like, you know, if only there was somebody like this to take down the Zodiac Killer type of thing. And mm-hmm. the opening of Dirty Harry is the, the villain, Scorpio, as he's called, but basically the Zodiac Killer, spying on his victim in a POV shot, if this seems familiar. So right, right, we got right. this. And uh, he also, at some point, wears a ski mask type of thing that's obviously inspired <laughs> by sketches of the Zodiac Killer and looks similar to Riddler's look in the film. So those are sort of the, the Zodiac-Riddler connections that I found. Uh, pulling further from real life, Matt Reeves also cited the book Mindhunter, by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker, which, of course, sparked its, more famously sparked its own Netflix series with David Hincher once again behind the scenes at the helm directing episodes. So, Believe it or uh, not, another. I've read this book, and, well, I listened to the audio book, but still, uh, it's what do you really think? good. Nice. I haven't, I haven't checked that one out yet. <clears throat> I've seen a couple episodes of the show, but I haven't <clears throat> like, listened to the listen to the audiobook, so I'm curious about the, the book it's all based on and what's true or what's in there and what's not. The audio book is great because a guy that reads it, reads it like uh, Friday from Dragnet or something like it's kind of an old <laughs> reference. Perfect. He's just like, yeah, he's, he has just that facts, voice. Man. They got the yeah. perfect guy. Yeah, like just the facts, uh, man. I man. was a, I was a serial killer guy in the sixties or whatever. Like it, it's just a per- <laughs> pitch perfect voice on, on yeah. audible. And nice. uh, it's just like, it's just kind of goes through the history of it like the show covers it too where it's just like they didn't even have a word for serial killer mm. uh you know they coined that f- whole phrase and yeah. then they uh you know just trying to classify them like there's product killers and there's process killers and mm-hmm. there's uh those are the two main categories maybe there's other outliers but you know, some mm-hmm. some some of them are really into the product. Some of them into the journey of it. <laughs> you know, so it's yeah, it was it's mm-hmm. interesting for sure. And the show, yeah. like I've said before, mainly on the Patreon, may, maybe. But whenever you see, I mean, they're actual portrayals of fucking these people. But let's say mm-hmm. they're somewhat close. And the guy that plays Ed Kemper is really close. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's like shot like this. This actor studied his footage like crazy, but uh. They just really feel like uh, Batman villains, man, because they're just kind of larger. Ones, yeah. They're larger than mm-hmm. life 
personalities there, but they're real. And it's just like, God, people like you exist. This is insane. Yeah. But they do. They do exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, that's what like, makes it scarier. That's what makes it scarier. And of course, uh, you know, I'm sh- the bat, bat people have been writing Batman since probably the sixties and seventies have put this, these kind of serial killer ideas in there. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is all, all the stuff is connected. Yeah, it all is. So yeah. Reeves said that he read the book. He didn't really cite the, the Netflix series, but I'm sure he's a Fincher fan and loves this type of stuff. So I'm sure <laughs> he's, like he's, it, he's yeah. watched it. He's watched it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I've also seen people pointing out that the death of D.A. Colson is similar to the death of Brian Wells. I don't know if you're familiar with this. This was covered in the Netflix documentary series, oh. Evil Genius. <sighs> Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, this I is a rough one. I forgot this was, uh, this yeah. could have, could be, it could be. 2003, for those who don't know, 2003, a man named Brian Wells had a bomb strapped to his neck and was forced to basically commit a robbery. He told police who found him that he was being forced to do it, asked for help to remove the bomb. The police tried, but they also weren't sure, is this guy in on it? Is the bomb real? Is he faking it? Bomb goes off, Wells is killed. And if you watch the Netflix mm-hmm. documentary... Got to warn you, because I did not expect this. Uh, you see the whole thing. You see the bomb. Yeah, you see the guy blow yeah. up. Uh, you see an was, actual real yeah. death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so also similar looks to Coulson and Wells, as we can see here, both being bald men. Sarsgaard himself doesn't usually keep his hair like that, so it seemed like a deliberate choice. Uh, I don't know if that right, was to emulate right. Wells or just that's just how he wanted his character to look. Dude, so there's too many similarities here, though. Unless yeah. it was, uh, they saw this a few years ago and then unconsciously put it in there, but it's a possibility but, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next major character inspiration, you knew this was coming at some point. Kurt Cobain and Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so. This, this is people have a lot of problem with this part. I think. Yeah. The people that don't like the movie, this is a this is a sticking point. I'm also going to say you can't say this is a Nolan retread if you also criticize one of the big things that makes it different from Nolan's. That is, that is true. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. 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 Uh, Reeves said that he was listening to something in the way. Obviously. Oh, sorry. Okay. So obviously, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with who Kurt Cobain is, he was the. <laughs> For our real young listeners <laughs> out there. Yeah, I, re- I realize I might be skipping ahead here. Yeah. Back in the night. Back in the day. Yeah. All right. Lead singer to Nirvana. I'll try to summarize this. And the Nirvana song, Something in the Way, is the song that plays at the bookends of this movie and was in the trailer and stuff. It's a major part of this. Matt Reeves was listening to it when he was writing the script. And then I believe it's 1995, right, where he commits suicide. It might have been 94 uh, or something. 94, 95, it was, yeah. It was definitely the first half of the 90s. Yeah. Um, so Reeves comes, kind of thinks about what's going to be different, what's going to make this Bruce Wayne different, and he thought, what if this guy is, you know, he's gone through this tragedy, so he's become a recluse. He, quote, is this guy some sort of wayward, reckless drug addict? And the truth is, he is a kind of drug addict. His drug is his addiction to this drive for revenge. He's like a Batman Kurt Cobain, is what Reeves said. Um, He saw that his version of the character was like a rock star, but, quote, instead of going out and playing gigs at night, his gig is to be Batman. So uh, that's all in there. And he also connected it to a movie version citing Gus Van Sant's Last Days, which is a sort of fictionalized version of the last, the final days of Kurt Cobain. Mm. So uh, where like he's also in kind of his own Wayne Manor and it's just sort of really run down and stuff. It's 
a really depressing movie. I hadn't seen it before, but I checked it out just for, you know, this, the episodes where we would be covering this type of stuff. Michael Pitt plays a Cobain inspired character named Blake, who we see here. And the way he plays the Cobain type character is somewhat similar to how Pattinson would play Bruce when he's like out of the costume where he's just very quiet and distant. And Dude, like it felt very much. It felt a lot like Cobain when he's, yeah. when he's as Bruce Wayne in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really yeah. felt that, that influence and just really soft spoken and shit. And mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot <sighs> Cobain was, you know, famous heroin addict mm-hmm. and, that's i think informed a lot of his personality after he started using yeah you know so i mean look i don't know the specifics i don't know but it seems like maybe that was the case and uh it's just like is how much of this interpretation of bruce wayne is influenced by heroin heroin use you know what i mean just replaces heroin use with his drive for vengeance so i thought well that's really interesting it's not necessarily my specific take, but like it is a take, you know, it's just it is pa- cool. pa- Pattinson's basing his more than likely anyway, his Bruce Wayne on a guy's mannerisms, but that guy's mannerisms probably come from his drug use, mm, you know? Yeah. So it's just, mm. that's, uh, I would have never thought of that, but it's, you yeah. know, I don't, it's interesting. I don't, I don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. Another article notes that the Cobain character, Blake, has these, you know, basically the amps in his home in Last Days. And Bruce actually has the same in Wayne Tower, as we can see on the right. That's what's playing the big classical music whenever we get the the scenes with Alfred in that. Mm. So that's what we got here on the right. Uh, there's also, this is likely, you know, kind of coincidental, but there's another scene of the Cobain type character, Blake, kind of going undercover in a hood around the city and into a club, kind of like Bruce's drifter outfit. So, right, right, right. Uh, but other than that, that's don't true. That's don't watch true. Last Days expecting it to be a Batman movie. <laughs> no, it's a it's a rock doc, uh, not documentary, but yeah, uh, biopic. Uh, yeah, loosely based, loosely based, and it's it's very depressing, very slow, and um, but very artsy. So if there, you're into that yeah. type of stuff, then check it out. Ghost Van Sant always has that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's supposedly I haven't seen it yet, but Netflix has a lot of this shit lately, but. There's another Netflix show where it's more closely related, uh, mm. more closely based on Cobain's life, and it's Ooh. a series, probably not a movie. Not a movie. I think. Yeah. I think. But uh, but yeah. Anyway, quick trivia: Co- Cobain is and Nirvana are credited with ending '80s music single-handedly. Mm. '80s glam metal like Motley Crue and shit and poison and all that. Yeah. They were probably in their last days anyway, but they were still popular. But Nirvana comes in and boom, 80s music is dead. Yeah. We now have 90s grunge. Forget all that shit in the past 10 years. That's really what rock like rock history if you look at the rock history most mo- I think most people chime in if this is incorrect, but I this seems correct to me. Mm. Yeah. It sounds correct to me. You know, yeah. It makes a lot of sense that that's like the major milestone in music history would be them at that it's point. It's just really sudden, too. It's like one mm-hmm. band, boom. You yeah, know? creating that feel to it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the only other inspiration that I found Reef citing for his Bruce Wayne was Howard Hughes, another reclusive billionaire type. 
Hughes was also mentioned in The Dark Knight Rises, as we see on the right, with Daggett speculating that Bruce is peeing in mason jars, which is what Howard Hughes did when he was a recluse. So, luckily, that part was not in any of these versions of Batman. We had no (laughs) pee-based plot plot point. (laughs) Moving on. In in this one. (laughs) (laughs) Whoo! Matt Reeves also mentioned reading All the President's Men based off of the Watergate scandal of Nixon's administration. He wanted a conspiracy about the corruption in Gotham. Uh, And he reread the book and said, quote, okay, so how do we start to describe just how high the corruption went? It's very much like All the President's Men in that way. So both stories have corrupt government officials who have a big secret that goes all the way up. It's got two main characters who are investigating and trying to get to the bottom of it. Matt Reeves even directly referenced and compares the real-life investigative reporters of Woodward and Bernstein, who were the main characters of this, trying to crack this case open. He compares them to Batman and Gordon in this movie, which I could see. Mm-hmm. This also carried When they over. say it goes all the way up or whatever yeah. in the movie, I'm just thinking, all the way up to the court. <laughs> yeah, the court of owls. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, that's that's what I want. Yeah. Uh, two of the characters are named after real-life Nixon administration officials. Gotham Mayor Don Mitchell Jr. is named after John Mitchell on the top left, the former attorney general to Nixon and the director of the committee to re-elect the president, a.k.a. Creep. And then on the bottom, District Attorney Gilbert Col- Colson is named after Charles Colson, who is the special counsel to President Nixon. And uh, basically... Reeves wanted these names because, quote, I wanted the conspiracy to come with that forcefulness of history and believability for me. And then one of the most famous aspects to All the President's Men is the informant Deep Throat. So both All the President's <laughs> Men. That's right. I forgot about this connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Batman and All the President's Men are have are heavily built around this idea of there being an informant, somebody deep inside. We've got Deep Throat and we've got Rata Alada, a.k.a. Falcone. So obviously mm-hmm. they're on different sides. Deep Throat's on the reporters, the protagonist side in the movie. Falcone is one of the big bads of the Batman. So those are the connections there. And then aside from the corruption storyline, I do have to point out one other thing in terms of the uh, real life and the Batman. Penguin and Al Capone. Both mm-hmm. are heavyset men with scars on their faces. This penguin is unique in the fact that he's got a scar on his face. I think this is the first version to have that. And this is very similar to the scar on the cheek of Al Capone. Both men sort of started out small and rose up on the uh, criminal ladder. And, uh, you know, we know the penguin's going to become somebody big in Gotham City, just like Capone is big in the history of Chicago. So that's what we got for historical and real-life influences, and we're going to go into the cinematic influences after the break. It's time to tap in with the HyperX QuadCast S microphone. The stunning HyperX QuadCast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap-to-mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns, so we can broadcast crystal-clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the Quad Squad and tap in today with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone. Come on in. What can I get you? Sure, I've heard of Hair of the Dogcast. They're that podcast about video games and beer. From the latest gaming headlines to diving deep into the games of yesterday to sampling and reviewing craft beer from all over the world, Hair of the Dogcast is here for the gamer and beer lover in all of us. Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. 
take a time machine back to before the world went to hell, around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games, that's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000, because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad live Less Than 2000. Lord have mercy, y'all. Do you like hounds? Do you enjoy pooches? Do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all. As you might have heard, Superhero Stuff You Should Know has now teamed up with BarkBox. For every month, you get a box for your special canine. Pooches. Or hounds. That's right. One free extra month if you go to BarkBox.com slash SuperheroStuffPod. Follow the link and you'll get a free extra month valued at $35 and valid for all multi-length plans. So get the BarkBox for your hound, for your pooch, for your canine. Your doggo will thank you. We are back, and we're going to talk about the cinematic influences on the Batman this time. So, time to dive into our film school brains, and uh, finally, hope that tuition pays off in this episode as we talk about all the stuff that it's connected to. Oh, man. (laughs) So, uh, I've already seen people who are cynical and say that Matt Reeves took way too much from this movie, or that movie, and that movie, or, or whatever, and... First off, I want to point out that if you're going to criticize Matt Reeves for that, you might as well also criticize the other directors because Tim Burton drew from film noir for Batman 89 and Batman Returns. We have just two examples here of Lieutenant Eckhart being modeled after Orson Welles in Touch of Evil, as acknowledged by screenwriter Sam Hamm, uh, or Max Schreck being named after the Nosferatu actor of Max Schreck. We've also, you could also go after Zack Snyder for drawing off of Excalibur. We've got the both the Excalibur moment of the future has taken root in the present, said by Merlin during right, Arthur's conception. Right. And Cyborg uh, listening to that as uh, Superman is resurrected in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Or even Snyder with Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Dude, We've covered pretty this blatant in the, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we covered this in the Patreon. Uh, and then also even Chris Nolan is drawing off of Blade Runner and Heat for Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Alone. We didn't even get to Dark Knight Rises. That's even inspired by Battle for Algiers, David Lean movies, all that type of stuff. I remember even back in the Dark Knight, that movie was praised for being like heat. Nobody was just like, oh, it was the, they put him in the heat setting. That's bullshit. Like everybody's saying that that was such a good thing. Now it's just like, oh, like it's too much like these David Fincher stuff. I'm just like, all right, since when was that a problem? Beforehand, people were all like, oh, I would love it if they did a David Fincher style seven Batman movie. Well, here it is. And yeah, then, yeah. I look. It's anybody saying this, like it's just uh, it's hard to make something that's just totally without any influence. Indeed, yeah. I mean, come on, man, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, it's like in what, the crime thriller genre, so of course you're going to have the same tropes that come up. And this is like the the way. Uh, you talk with each other in productions too. Is like I want this shot to be like this from that movie, but maybe with a little bit, little bit different here. But you know yeah. what I mean. It's mm-hmm. especially the way the director and the cinematographer are going to talk with each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, laying out the shots and stuff, and the overall feel. It's you're going to talk about movies in the past, man. It's just going to happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is going to be haters no matter what. Really. Yeah, I know. I know. But. 
just having that as a preface before we go into yeah. the, uh, the yeah. influences. So uh, let's dive in. <clears throat> the overall okay. look of Gotham City was slightly inspired by films by director Wong Kar Wai. In the production mm. notes, there's a quote saying that, quote, there's a romantic palette in some of the, those movies that we loved. So we let in a bit more color in those scenes, like neon and a lot of color from the light of the street. Our world is grim in a lot of places, and that was an environment where we could let some color pop. So we've got Wong Kar Wai at the top left, and we've got Gotham City in the Batman on the bottom right. You ever seen you a see Wong Kar Wai film? A uh, long time ago. Um, I saw Chungking Express in f film mm -hmm. school. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's done in like French New Wave. So like, yeah. it's just got kind of a, um, how can I say this? It's it's less concerned with plot. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the overall feel. Like Lost in Translation is, well, it's fucking 20 years old at this point. But anyway, mm -hmm. that's done in French New Wave style, which is like, you know, when we talk about rules, like it's got to have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. These are not set in stone, right? Like these are... Especially when you get good, to foreign films. Yeah, these are good um, kind of guidelines to follow, but uh, this is art. Filmmaking is art, and there's no real rules at the end of the day. So if you mm -hmm. want to break, and the kind of French New Wave, kind of to me anyway, my interpretation of it probably is wrong. I don't know, but it's just like it kind of breaks the rule of having to have like a real <laughs> hard plot. But it's mm -hmm. still, I still like it though. I still get it. I get why it's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, this has been my Wong Kar Wai tangent, but yeah, I, I like I like this. I was thinking Blade Runner though, but but uh, it's hard not but, to when it's yeah, there's yeah. a neon lit city and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, apparently it's Wong Kar Wai, so that's cool. Uh, yeah. Another influential filmmaker is one of the greatest of all time, the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, so, shit. Look at that, man. Yep. Reeve cited, quote, Batman or Bruce is in almost every scene in the movie, which is not the usual way these movies are done. It's a very Hitchcockian kind of point of view where you are wedded to his experience. Um, I also have to bring up, because I took a whole class on, on Hitchcock in, in film oh, school. Oh, shit. It was just all on him, all on his filmography. And one of his most famous things was about the difference between suspense and surprise in just general storytelling. Surprise is seeing, you know, a group of people around a table, suddenly they get blown up. Oh, there was a bomb the whole time. It's a surprise. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Suspense is groups around that table, but you see the bomb under the table and it's ticking. And then you watch the scene continue and you're just wondering, are they going to move away from the bomb? Is the bomb going to go off? Are they going to survive? Are they going to get away? Are they going to die? Like what's going to happen? That's the difference between the two. That's cool, man. So, that That is yeah. cool. There's one shot in Psycho of the... I'll, I'll fucking tell this, but I want to have mm -hmm. this one shot from Psycho where it's just the cop leaning into the car. Mm -hmm. It's so creepy, man. And I want to put that in Amino Recon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie is filled more with suspense than with surprise. The main real surprise part is like when Falcone gets shot. But other than that, like everything is like built up to. There's always a ticking time bomb. You know, we Riddler doesn't just randomly show up to kill the mayor. We see him there for like a good minute before he actually strikes. Same thing with the attack on Coulson. You know he's in the car. You know, the timer going down on Coulson for the bomb. Even like the flood stuff, you know that's coming because of like just the buildup in the apartment. So it's all like building up. Mm. There's no, there's not really a lot of like surprise versus as opposed to how much suspense is in there. 
Um, Love that fucking yeah. first first few shots of Riddler, man. Yeah. It's a horror suspense. Everybody has that collective gasp when you first see him. <sighs> it was so good, dude. Yeah. It's. I mean, we've seen that kind of thing before, but it, it's just it's just always good. In a Batman movie, it's it feels yeah. different. I'm like, oh shit, it's this type of thing. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is kind of a rear window type influence on the scene where Bruce is watching Selena go from room to room, in the fact that we get you know sort of a POV shot, a long POV shot with binoculars following her from one room to the next. The voyeuristic feel to that I think is very rear window esque. Uh, and I've also brought up before on the podcast that someday, maybe it's going to be with Colin Farrell Penguin, more likely another version, but someday there's going to be a Penguin movie influenced by the birds. Penguin using birds to attack people, <laughs> like got... in the Sam Ham thing. Like, it's going to happen at some point. I, I feel bad. I've never seen the birds, actually. I, but I you know the general it. thing, right? Yeah, this birds the attacking birds, people. Yeah, birds attacking shit. people. Yeah, that's all we really need from like a... I'm not saying that's all we need from a Penguin thing, but I'm, I'm just shocked it, nobody's actually tried to do that. In like a, a big yeah, live action. That's true. That's thing. true. Yeah, they just had no. they put strapped rockets to penguins and <laughs> returns. That's a different thing, though. It's different. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, next one. So Matt Reeves brought up some David Lynch inspiration for when we saw Battinson for the first time. So this is something I didn't know until a very recent interview. Uh, he wanted a shot of Pattinson just all in red light, similar to Bill Pullman here in Lost Highway by David Lynch. And so he actually decided to experiment with it in Robert Pattinson's audition for Batman. So this oh, goes shit. all the way back before the, the movie. So he's like, I'll put you in red light and then I'll play Michael Cicchino's theme because Michael Cicchino came up with the Batman theme before anything was shot in this movie. Obviously, Damn. he scored to the scenes, but he, he kind of just got back to Matt Reeves just from, I think, reading the script even. And came out with the dawn, dun dun dun, like yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so Reeves is like, I'm going to play this music. I'm going to put you in red light. And I want to see you prepare for the character. And Pattinson starts putting on the war paint in the red light to the music. And Reeves is like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And he shows it to the studio. <laughs> and the studio gets blown away, too. And they're just like, let's put this in the movie. So yeah. this is what inspires the scene in the short scene of the movie where he's got the war, he's putting on the war paint in the bathroom of the train and stuff that was not in the script. They added it in when they saw how great it seemed or how like just foreboding it felt when they shot it for the uh, the screen test and the audition. And then, of course, they channeled it too in this footage that we see here of Pattinson in the suit the first time that was revealed. Right, right, so right. that's where that all comes from. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Matt Reeves also cited Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas as an inspiration of how he wanted the violence of the Batman to be portrayed. He mm -hmm. says, uh, I wanted a Goodfellas-style brutality in terms of how Batman fought people. When Henry Hill, Ray Liotta's character, smashes a guy with his gun butt. In the movie, Henry is the one who introduces you to some really creepy people, but when he does that, you know he's part of the gang now. Robert immediately understood the idea. I think I've already brought this up before, how I feel like this scene in Goodfellas, where he just goes up to the guy, smashes his face in, does the whole, like, I swear on my fucking mother, if you touch her again, you're dead! Like, that's the original I'm Vengeance scene. I love that scene. From oh, Goodfellas, yeah. Okay. It's okay. got a similar thing. You've got this whole, like, I'll beat the shit out of somebody in front of his friends type of thing just to show I mean business. So that's, right. that feels like it's a, it's a, it's inspired definitely by Goodfellas. And this comparison here comes from fan of the podcast. Logan Wood sent me this comparison after he heard that in a previous episode. So that's, um, 
Again, one of my favorite movies. Rewatched the movie just to rewatch that part. Recently. Oh well, yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I have mm. seen it a few times. It, yeah. It's one of the greats. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another Twitter user, Big Bat Theory, brought this up that I didn't really, I didn't notice because I had rewatched Silence of the Lambs in preparation for our long Halloween episode, but I didn't realize this. Both Silence of the Lambs and the Batman have this POV shot of the main detective walking into the crime scene with all the other cops like looking at them, being just like, you know, who the hell are you, type of thing. Uh, you know, Clary Starling in Silence of the Lambs is an outsider detective, just like Batman is an outsider in that, and both of them are investigating serial killers. Both of them have clues that involve body parts. So uh, right, that right. is another inspiration here, and that uh, I'm sure that's going to be extended further as we get into Arkham Asylum stuff in the future. Uh, next one is, of course, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Everybody wants to associate Batman with Taxi Driver, as we've talked about. It's an influence mm -hmm. on Aronofsky's Unmade Year One script, the 2019 Joker film, and now on this one. Uh, even back in 2019, we knew that there was going to be this thing. Matt Reeves tweeted that he, when he was writing the script, he was listening to Bernard Herrmann's score for Taxi Driver on Endless Loop, specifically <laughs> the track Thank God for the Rain. So very noir-esque, very jazz type of thing. Uh, and later in an interview, he said the taxi driver was an influence in the way it describes a place and takes you inside the twisted head of its main character. And of course, I'm showing here the different similar like shots of just the eyes throughout both movies. There's a type of, they call it a character study, right? Like this, mm -hmm. it's a type of, I don't know, it's... A, you could say that Taxi Driver is in that genre. Yeah, uh, definitely. And yeah, there's other character study movies too. Patton Oswalt's in a pretty good one called Big Fan. It's about mm. a deranged NFL fan, basically. Yeah, I remember that. I he's, didn't see he's it, but great I in it. that, yeah. It's, I think you'd probably like it, Ben. It's, mm. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, notably, narration in both movies. Yeah. Both Bruce and Travis have a comment about the rain as well in both. So it's very much inspired by that. That's cool. And there's a lot of rain in it. But you know what? There's yeah. a lot of rain in Seven. That's true, too. Also, which we'll get later, like, yeah. This is a look. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the, you know, it's cool. Yeah. Some people complain about there being too much rain. It's just like. In the Batman? Yeah. Like, oh, fucking, are you serious, man? You're going about rain, round, <laughs> rain right now? <laughs> I don't <laughs> just, know what they were expecting. Dude, some just I think this, I think late the, this past week I've just been like taking in all the bad comments from it, and I'm just like have a hard time, mm. uh, have a hard time processing other people's bad opinions about <laughs> this film, man. <laughs> I hear you know, you. so yeah. yeah. Uh, so Travis might have been an influence on Bruce, but he was also um, an influence on the drifter type character. We've talked about this a lot and shown this comparison before uh, on it. So that's nothing new. But also the influence kind of goes on to the Riddler because both the Batman and Taxi Driver feature political figures in the story. And there's assassination attempts from people in green jackets in both movies. <laughs> that's so, right. That's right. Uh, but the biggest one... My favorite influence of this is how the grappling gun slides up basically Batman's forearm into his hand, just like Travis Bickle's gun. And this was deliberate. Patton said, said that it was based off of the gun mechanism from Taxi Driver. So that's really cool. I think there's something that's likely we're going to see. We talked about this before. It's likely going to end up being in the comics. It just makes more sense. You know, it gives them even less oh, yeah. time than reaching 
the for the utility belt that type of stuff definitely dude it this is just this mark my words this is going to be one of the biggest contributions to the batman mythos mm-hmm. from now on it just yeah. makes too much sense for it to come from his gauntlet or something right here in a compartment straight mm-hmm. to his fucking hand it's practical and everything also in this picture of taxi driver i notice no one's this thin anymore <laughs> no one is this is 70s thin. Only, only joaquin in in yeah. uh, joker and that's because he just lost all the weight deliberately for that he doesn't naturally look like that it's the hormones and the food in america or something that changed something happened oh, i know mm-hmm. he's a, he was a movie star then not wasn't a normal person in the 70s yeah. but but still anyway <laughs> it's a whole other topic but just yeah. like damn he looks like he's 75 pounds in this picture that's true yeah uh next is in terms of 70s cinema the french connection this classic from uh friedman uh friedkin i mean, I mean and uh, gene hackman plays obsessed detective Popeye Doyle, who's driven to get criminals at all costs, no matter who gets hurt in the crossfire, if that sounds familiar. Uh, Reeve cited that it has a gritty, flawed humanity to it that he wanted to have. Uh, There's a scene where Popeye talks to an informant in the bathroom, and in order to cover for that informant, he punches him in the face, similar to what Batman Mm -hmm. does to Gordon in the movie. But I think the most obvious influence here is that it's got one of the most famous car chases in history. So right, both right, right. movies have these close-up shots, POV shots, but also close-up shots of the detective screaming angrily behind the wheel as he's swerving through traffic trying to chase down a criminal. Uh, fantastic car chase in uh, French Connection classic on that one. Pattinson Best part of the really, movie. This is a shot of, for the aural listener, this is a shot mm-hmm. of Pattinson behind the car in the in the chase scene. Yeah. He really, look, look, look at him. He looks really like Batman. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, yeah. look at this fucking shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I guess it's, it's also good. kind of interesting to see uh, a Batman this pissed off behind the wheel. Cause usually Batman in the Batmobile from what we've seen, he looks like he's very much in control. You know, it's, it's the Keaton. That's thing, true. Just like, That's true. Dun, 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 and he's just like very like, you know, he's got his shit down no matter who's shooting at him and stuff. But this version of Pattinson is just like, no, I'll fucking run you down <laughs> with a Batmobile. He fucking thing. wants that bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, since we're talking about that scene, let's talk about Christine. So, oh, Man, I wanted to see this. I've Christine. actually never seen this either. Please forgive yeah. me listening on and viewing audience. I need. I have a lot to catch up on. Christine is a Stephen King novel I have not read, but I did see the movie, which comes from John Carpenter, who apparently was also a big influence on this movie. So Christine is a possessed muscle car, the villain, the monster of the movie, running people over, and that's kind of what creates the the horror, the creepiness. Reeves cited Christine saying, quote, I like the idea of the car itself as a horror figure, making an animalistic appearance to really scare the hell out of the people Batman's pursuing. And I'd say he succeeded with that. The sequence Mm -hmm. in Christine that was the most inspirational was when Christine is in an explosion and then comes out set on fire and still chases the guy down, which yeah, of course happens in the Batman in the Batman to the point where pulling this up, it's kind of hard to tell what's from what. But on the left is from Christine, on the right is from the Batmobile chase in the Batman. So uh, that's definitely a huge pull from Christine. And mm-hmm. both cars also intimidate their victims by just sort of just silently being there for a bit and then just gradually revving up. And up until finally just heading towards you. So that's another Christine move. It's a great take, I think. You know, it's like it's, let's dude, do so something good. different from tanks. Yeah. It's like 
Uh, yeah, different from tanks for one, but it's like, of course, the car is cool, mm-hmm. but it's like Reeves. He wanted to be more scary than cool. You know what yeah. I mean? It's usually like, let's look, let's have car porn. Let's have, <laughs> right. let's show, let's show the Batmobile. It's like ever since Burton, of course. Well, probably mm-hmm. Bat Adam West too, but I think especially since the Burton mobile, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, let's let's really like give car nuts something to jizz over with mm-hmm. it. Well, and Batman fans too, of course. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this doesn't it has that it has it less. Yeah, is this this horror take is like, yeah, it's a subtle but deliberate uh, decision, which was cool. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought there should be an intimidation factor to the Batmobile, where like you yeah. see it, you know Batman's coming for you, and I think this nailed that. It yeah, it, it's cool, definitely. And there's only one Batmobile scene. It's not. It's this movie really like doesn't want to overshow anything. Yeah, like we get like two scenes of <laughs> two scenes of Alfred, three of <laughs> Bruce Wayne, maybe two and a half. Yeah, one Batmobile. Uh. And like, you know what I mean? Like, it's really conservative in, in mm-hmm. how much it wants to show. It's, it, feel, it felt like. It's three hours long and still leaves you wanting more of that world. Still, still conservative in some ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's continue on this John Carpenter thing. So Nerdist has pointed out that horror movies like John Carpenter's Halloween were influential, specifically citing how the Riddler is like Michael Myers in the Halloween movies. If we were to specifically cite the first Halloween both Halloween and the Batman introduce their villains through this sort of prolonged POV sequence where we see them about oh, to commit dude. murder through their own yeah. eyes. Go ahead. Masterclass. Have you seen yeah. Halloween, the first one? Yeah. Yeah. A couple yeah, years ago. It's, yeah. It's, it's, per, it's really good at what it mm-hmm. does with that, what, what you just described. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I really, if they could have, they borrowed even more from that, I would have been <laughs> okay with it. It, it. Yeah, that's true. And it was done on a shoestring budget, too, I think. And yeah. It, yeah, it's it's really good. It's like it was the first of the modern slashers, right? And mm-hmm. it and it was it's kind of classy on like not I don't know, like it's like the Jason movies probably couldn't be in Criterion, but I think Halloween 1 is Criterion. You know what I mean? Like it's kind mm-hmm. of another level. Yeah. Yeah, we've got pretty much Carpenter solidifying his own, you know, being part of the Hall of Fame of horror directors with this movie. And we've got yeah. this shot here of the masked figure lurking in the dark that we see, but the victim doesn't know he's there. So that's kind of similar to the, as Nerdist brought up, it's similar to the mayor and the mayor's death in the beginning. Um, but a big one is Riddler attacking Coulson from the backseat of a car, which is very similar to Annie's death in Halloween, right down mm. to the foggy windshield. So mm. uh, that's a pull there. And then friend of the podcast, Jackson Putnam, pointed out connections to the other John Carpenter film, They Live which I didn't even really think about, but Mm -hmm. here's his argument for that. Uh, Quote, stuff like Bruce wearing lenses, both the sunglasses and detective vision, the video playback on the ladder is black and white, much like the black and white POVs of They Live. Batman bursting into the Iceberg Lounge is very similar in spirit to Roddy bursting into the bank. Penguin being interrogated by Gordon Batman reminded me of Buck Flower talking to Roddy and Keith. Roddy makes Meg Foster take him back to her home, getting her involved in the plot. Bruce does the same with Selina. There's a few touches. There's also overarching thematic parallels, conspiracy at the center of the social structures, distrust of law enforcement and authority figures, working outside of and bringing down a broken system, rallying others in that fight, discovering a shocking and earth-shattering secret, uh, secret TV broadcast either selling lies or exposing truths. So that's a lot mm. <laughs> on that, mm-hmm. but thanks for that. 
Jackson. It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, you can find him at uh, YouTube, Jackson Wayne Putnam, as well as Instagram at Action Jackson, Action Jackson 138. So thank you, Jackson, for that. Thank you, yep. Uh, let's dive into some inspirations for the Batman-Catwoman dynamic, the Bat-Cat. The biggest inspiration, I think, for it is from the movie Clute, uh, also directed by Alan J. Pakula, who directed All the President's Men. Uh, cinematography from the Pakula movies was inspirational on Greg Frazier. Uh, on so this. you saw this? I saw this as well before it got taken off HBO Max sometime last Damn. year. Okay, but interesting. How was it overall? It's, overall it's good. It's, it's, it's a good one. It's a good, solid one. It's, it's one I hadn't heard of. It should... Like, again, this is like the 1970s crime cinema. Crime cinema was like at such a peak during that decade. So it's interesting that this one's kind of like, it's a lot more of the underrated ones. It's not the same, it's not regarded in the same level as like a Godfather or Taxi Driver, uh, French Connection, Chinatown, any of those. But it honestly should be. It's pretty close to it. You've got Donald Sutherland and Jane Fonda. Even though it's called Clute, Jane Fonda is really the star of this. Okay, uh, I yeah. think she got the Oscar for this, or at least the I thought she was Clute from the poster. Yeah, it, well, yeah. I mean, they are pretty. Uh, you know, they know who the real star of the show is because the the general idea is Donald Sutherland plays a detective named Clute, and he's investigating a disappearance. Jane Fonda plays this call girl named Bree, who's kind of the femme fatale type, and she's kind of somewhat involved in this, and they work together, and they kind of fall in love. Kind of somewhat similar to the Batman in terms of how they meet and, and them working together. So the, we crap, the, the scenes with them together, I yeah. felt like there was a kind of classy. Maybe it was probably the music too, but it was just probably, like yeah. I kind of felt like Batman should have been like of all the juke joints and all the towns <laughs> and a bit of like the Casablanca thing. Yeah. You had to, you know, you had to walk drop into, into my life, walk into yes. my life. I, I felt like you was yeah. about to say those lines, man. Like <laughs> it was like that yeah. kind of vibe to me. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Zoe Kravitz uh, said, quote, that film kind of became a Bible for me in terms of tone and the relationship between the two of them. And that's one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen. Jane Fonda just blows me away. So Fonda's great in it. Reeves also talks about how Donald Sutherland's character, he says, quote, he judges her. He judges her and yet he falls in love with her. And I just thought that was something there was something to that that related to what I thought could be a Batman Selena Kyle story. He doesn't understand what it takes to survive in this place. What do you have to do just to survive in a place that's rough? Because, you know, Batman just grows up as this, like this rich kid in a tower, and he doesn't really know Selena's life until he gets to know her more later in the movie. Also, yeah, both yeah. Clute and the Batman feature a tape recording that records the murder of a woman, who I think is also getting strangled in Clute. So oh, shit. that's another thing. But, yeah, the other big 70s film noir romance that informs this is Chinatown. So mm -hmm. uh, Chinatown was a key one, says Matt Reeves, because in Chinatown, Jake Giddis, Jack Nicholson's character, is investigating the series of crimes that were part of that story. He discovers the depth of corruption of Los Angeles. So in that way, the Batman is like a classic noir. The series of murders that Batman is investigating are very much in that mode. And I'd say so too, now that we've seen the movie. It's not necessarily the same type of movie because you don't see Jack Nicholson in a bat suit in that. He would be wearing a much different costume years later. But in terms of the story, <laughs> we got Faye Dunaway's character, Evelyn, being also another inspiration for this take on Selena with the production notes kind of describing her character as being a survivor like Selena, like Jane Fonda's character, include these characters all somewhat connected. So uh, both Evelyn and Selena are daughters to the film's villains 
who are these powerful evil men who traumatized them in the past. Both of them try to pull a gun on their fathers but are unsuccessful in killing them. And then there's also, of course, the major twist about the parentage of someone in the, you know, of the characters involving this guy. So in The Batman, Falcone is the father to Catwoman. In Chinatown, Noah Cross, the you know, respective villain played by John Houston in that movie, is the father of Evelyn's child. So that is those are pretty much the Chinatown connections on that. And of course, just the whole like citywide corruption, how high does it go up, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. To the court, bro. We know that. Yeah. To the Court of Owls, yes. <laughs> the Court of Owls as seen in Chinatown. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> also, the uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just copying Chinatown, but yeah. that was another one where I was like, I finally, of course, I saw Roger Rabbit first, of course, because I was a Same. fucking kid. Yeah. And then I see Chinatown, I'm like, oh my <laughs> fucking God. Yeah. This, what this is it. from, this is fucking a direct pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go into one of the most imitated movies then, The Godfather. And The Godfather Part 2. So, I believe in Gotham. Don't they say I believe in Gotham in this movie? I don't remember I don't him saying that. That's just in Long Halloween. but Okay. Yeah. Well, this is cited as, cited as actually more of an influence on some of the characters who aren't Falcone. You know, we talked about in the Long Halloween episode how, like, Falcone is basically Vito Corleone, which seems like a weird choice because Vito Corleone is not supposed to be as evil as you know, Carmine mm. Falcone, but mm-hmm. uh, they took inspirations with other characters. So specifically the older brother, Fredo Corleone, with his inferiority complex and his insecurities, that was kind of an influence on their take on the Penguin. Uh, that is more apparent in The Godfather Part Two than in Part One, specifically in this scene that we pulled up here with Fredo yelling at Michael about, you know, I'm your older brother, I was passed over, no one takes me seriously, that type of stuff. And um, Colin Farrell said, quote, Matt, Reeves was just talking about somebody who was very real and had very lofty ambitions, but never really had the opportunity or the chance to explore them, was maybe looked down upon as someone who was handicapped, whether it was psychologically, intellectually. Fredo in The Godfather was frowned upon as less than the other brothers, and maybe Oz as well in his life was looked upon as somebody who wasn't capable. And so that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that fuels Oz. So that's interesting connection there. They also apparently thought that the Fredo actor John Cazale had a penguin-like nose that they wanted to emulate for the makeup <laughs> on Colin. I think okay. Colin's nose is much bigger than John Cazale's in the uh, yeah. the movie. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, other influences on this Oz include Tony Soprano, of course. I think that's pretty evident. Mm-hmm. And um, Bob Hoskins' character in The Long Good Friday, the title of which is what inspired The Long Halloween. Back to The Godfather, though. Robert Pattinson also cited The Godfather, citing Michael Corleone being kind of like some another inspiration on Bruce Wayne, informing his take on Bruce Wayne. Both are sort of the heirs to an empire. Both are kind of have this quietly intense quality to them. I can kind of see a little bit of Pacino's Michael in Pattinson's Bruce in terms mm-hmm. of that quality. He also compared the Alfred-Bruce relationship to Tom Hagen and Michael Corleone's dynamic in The Godfather with Alfred being like Tom Hagen as like this sort of disapproving advisor type of thing, or, you know, kind of like there's a whole scene in Godfather two where Tom Hagen is just like, what, you just got to take everybody out that type of thing. I think it's very (laughs) similar to, to Alfred telling him, you know, you're going to have nothing left in this type of life that you have. So I can kind of see it. I've never really thought about Tom Hagen being an Alfred to Michael Corleone's Batman, but (laughs) right. You know, that's what they thought of. Um, and cool. then, yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I think this is a cool connection. Andy Serkis himself brought up that he feels like his Alfred due to being 
a sort of hardened soldier and spy did not have the emotional capability to be much of a father figure to Bruce Wayne, which then explains why, you know, Bruce is so emotionally distant in general, explains the line about how, you know, you didn't, you needed a father and all you had was me, uh, which is a great Mm -hmm. line for Alfred. And I think it makes a lot of sense that Alfred would be that type, even though it seems very much against what you perceive of Alfred, it, it does make sense when you think about how, like, well, of course, if Alfred really did fulfill that hole in Bruce's heart for a father figure, would Bruce have really gone down that path? Mm-hmm. If he had, like, the love of an additional parent, despite his trauma. I think that's debatable. You know, I think this type of take, there's there's a validity to it in the fact that, you know, it's an Alfred who might not have been as paternal as what we normally would expect him to be on that. And that's what would cause Bruce to become uh, Batman. It would cause him to decide to, to be that because he doesn't have that, even though we have somebody in his life who's trying his best to fulfill that role. So it's a real, to me, that's a realistic take just because yeah. it's like, he's a Butler slash maybe security detail for the mm-hmm. Waynes. All of a sudden he's got to be the fucking father to some kid he didn't have. Yeah, you know, like he was. Mm-hmm. This is just—he was friends with his with his father Thomas Wayne, but like this is a whole other. Imagine I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, yeah, I didn't sign up for this. Imagine you're in this position. I mean, this happens a lot in real life, I guess, but, um, you know, yeah, this is yeah. He didn't sign up for this, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so long Halloween, as we talked about before, a lot took a lot from The Godfather, specifically with Falcone. When it comes to Falcone stuff, there's only one Godfather connection, and that's the song I Have But One Heart, which is listed in the credits, but it is the song that plays when Bruce enters the pool table area and wants to talk to Falcone about Thomas Wayne. This is the same song and same rendition sung by Johnny Fontaine, Al Martino's character, in The Godfather. He sings I Have But One Heart at the wedding. So it's the first scene, right? Yeah, in the very first, yeah, 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 the big opening wedding scene that takes like yeah. an hour and a half to get through. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's that's like in a yeah. de- deer hunters, like fucking two hours of fucking wedding. <laughs> oh, if yeah. I remember correctly, yeah. so Reeves, I think, manages to make Falcone. Uh, this is my hot, this is not really much of a hot take. I don't think I think Falcone's better in the movie than he is in the comics. I think Falcone's much scarier in the movie than in the comics. He's less of a Vito Corleone clone. And he's kind of his own. You strip him of all the Godfather stuff. You keep all the emotional connections to Bruce and Selena, but you, you have you maintain the monster. You remember because he's very much, he's a little bit more sympathetic, I think, in the comics. But in this version, I feel like it's just like, oh yeah, he's the Noah Cross from Chinatown. He's the he's the guy who's all powerful, the guy you underestimate, who's actually the one pulling the strings. And that's something. There's something even more terrifying about him than, say, like Penguin. It's true, but. Like the way he lies to Bruce or, you know, mm-hmm. at least twists the truth enough. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like, he's so good at it. He, it feels mm-hmm. like he has so much practice at this kind of thing. Like if he wasn't a gangster, to be a politician. Well, he's kind yeah. of is a politician under the scenes, right? In this movie. Yeah. So uh, he's the mayor of Gotham in a sense. So mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like a lying snake. He's just yeah. like, there's nothing redeeming about this guy. He almost killed his own daughter on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and by strangulation, both times, what with Annika? Yeah. He, he strangles and, and that's, mom. Yeah. Selena's mom. So it is uh, like he likes being personal. 
too. Yeah. If you look at it from like a serial killer mo, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. he's kind of a serial killer in a sense. I mean, if he keeps yeah. killing, keeps killing with the same mo all the time, mm-hmm. strangulation. Yeah. So, uh, Falcone. A couple other trivia things on Falcone. When Selena arrives to talk to Falcone uh, to kill him, the song playing in the background is Dean Martin singing "Volare," which means to fly, mm. relevant to bats and falcons. No so shit. there's that. And then this look with the glasses, uh, John Turturro requested these glasses. Falcone does not wear these glasses in the comic, but John Turturro wanted these specific vintage glasses. They were one of a kind. They had to find a way to replicate them for the stunt team. But Dude, uh, it's perfect, though. It's My perfect, God, yeah. I need my Falcone to be like this all the time now. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's brought up, hey, Falcone is like these types of guys who would wear these types of glasses on the stand. You know, and lie about stuff on the stand. <laughs> you know, the John Gotti types. And then, <laughs> yeah. but he also brought up, he's like, this movie is about masks. Batman's got a mask. Riddler's got a mask. Catwoman's got a mask. This is Falcone's mask. Or the glasses. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, that's so good. I mean, look, look at this motherfucker in these glasses. It's perfect. <laughs> it's so good. Never take this away from us. Yeah. I'm glad I, this is a gift to the world. John Turturro yeah. and these glasses right here. Yeah, and again, I, I was never a big Falcone guy until I saw this movie. I'm just like, this is this is peak Falcone. Like, I don't need any more. <laughs> I don't need more Falcone stories after this. I'm just like, this is all you need. This is, this is over and out. Hippocratic oath. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I like even li- <laughs> lines like that were great. You know, yeah. like he's yeah. the master level. Ben is when you master subtlety, and yeah, yeah you know, Tachiro's at that level. Yeah. So great version of Falcone. Next influence is something I think all of us noticed since the very first trailer, Seven. Also yeah. from David Fincher, who did Zodiac, who did Mindhunter, also did The Game, which was the inspiration for the unmade Ben Affleck Batman movie. So no matter what, as that one Twitter user said around uh, that was going viral, we were going to get a Fincher-inspired Batman anyway. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, both mm-hmm. films feature a shot of a knife cutting through police line in order to investigate a crime scene. Also has scenes of detectives combing through the villain's apartment, reading his journal with his own deranged ravings written inside. And of course, there's a big connection between John Doe from Seven uh, and the Riddler. Both characters are enacting their own sense of justice in the world. In Seven, John Doe cuts the model's nose as a pun to, quote, spite her face, while Riddler cuts off the mayor's thumb to create the thumb drive. Uh, (laughs) Both have their faces mostly unseen for most of the movie, before allowing themselves to get caught when the end of their plan comes, and of course being played by known actors. Uh, this has also been a trope since Loki, really, in Avengers 1, but it's just like... Or Joker, really, know, in, the dark, in The Dark Knight. He wanted to get caught. They so, want to get caught. They, they do this all yeah. the time. But in this one, it's like... He doesn't necessarily... I feel like... Do you, do you feel this way? He doesn't want to get caught. He's just like, I'll probably get caught at this point. You know um, what I, I think mean? he does... Well, it did seem like he pre-orchestrated the idea of being caught so he could be with Batman when the flood happens. But I will I say what makes so, yeah. what makes John Doe and Riddler different from like when Heath Ledger did in Dark Knight or Loki did in The Avengers or Javier Bardem did in Skyfall or when Benedict Cumberbatch did in Star Trek <laughs> Into Darkness. <laughs> Please kill this trope. What makes it different is the whole, yeah. they wanted to get caught, but they didn't plan on escaping. They're already, uh, like, yeah. I'm already done. Like, I'm getting caught right. because I... That, that's the end of the story for me. The mission's over. The basically. mission's over, as opposed yeah. to like the other guy is like, no, it's part of the mission for me to get caught and then make an escape. I'm like, all right, fine. So this one's a little mm. different, I'd say. 
Uh, and then both also have, you know, after this big buildup of the, of the chase after this killer, they finally have extended scenes of having a conversation with the killer, but with a divider between them. So they couldn't really get much physical. So that's all in there for, I think, the similar, similarities between Seven and the Batman. Mm-hmm. And then the last possible one that I think we should talk about is potentially Christopher Nolan. So many people are pointing out similarities between the Batman and the Dark Knight. We've got a lot of people being like, which do you like better, the Dark Knight or the Batman? And, you know, different polls going around, right? Even the visuals here. I've got the villains of each respective film sending out a shaky cam video message to the city. We got Batman fighting in a nightclub. And even before the movie comes out, people are just like, oh, like Reeves is basically Nolan 2.0. This is just a copy of Nolan. What's the point? There was a lot of that. It's just like, anyway, everybody that listens to this knows my opinion on that. But yeah, Yeah. it's just like, I thought it was different enough. Yeah. I think there's also, there might be a stylistic similarity, but I've noticed nobody has seemed or really talked about the fact that the Batman are very different. Nobody's been like, oh, they ripped off the characterization of the Batman. They're extremely different, these two Batman. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't even need... I've written out like all the differences, but at this point, I'm like, I don't think I really need to go into it in terms of the differences between the Pattinson Batman and the, and the Bale Batman. It's just so evident already. And you could do that really with each of the different characters if you go character by character, at least for the their counterparts. So Michael Caine's Alfred, different from Circus. Gordon's are different. The Catwoman are different. Totally Main, different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, different um, enough, I think. To, yeah. to me, and tell me if you're uh, a guy that's been on the podcast before, but I won't say his name just yet, just out of fucking, you know, general privacy or whatever. <laughs> but he told me that uh, it felt like this was the first movie where he, it doesn't feel like Bruce Wayne in a costume. You know, like it, that's yeah. how. When, when you see Bruce Wayne, you just feel like it's Batman without the suit. Yeah, yeah. This is like we're just seeing a full person as Batman, and mm-hmm. then it's it's kind of almost weird when we see Bruce Wayne. It you is, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. it's Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Meanwhile, like ninety percent of the movie, I'm just like, oh, I'm watching Batman. You know, only ten yeah. percent of it is Robert Pattinson as ten percent of it, and yeah. he's like looks like he's half dead, but it's like Bruce Wayne, as maybe metaphorically is dead. At least that he feels dead inside when he is Bruce Wayne. I don't know. Like, yeah. It, the, just drawing, uh, connecting it back to what you were talking about. This is all, what we're talking about is kind of all connected, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there are some similarities between the two when it comes to just the portrayal of the villains. I can see it, you know, they have these video messages where, like, I've got my victim in the background, I'm talking to him, and then he's going to die. And then we've got these interrogation scenes after the villain deliberately gets caught. But I'm like, all right, so those are taken from there. But if we're going to say Reeves took that from Nolan, then... Nolan definitely took from Tim Burton because there's a lot of 1989 in Nolan stuff. Nolan himself didn't even create the idea of Batman being presented in a more grounded, darker, real-world take, taking inspiration from other film noir or crime thrillers. He didn't invent that. Look at old interviews from Batman 89. Everyone is talking about how Batman 89 is going to be a more realistic, a darker take, more grounded. It doesn't seem as much like it now that we've seen like other versions, but that was the intent because they were working off of Batman 66 at the time. This is a total fucking like, yeah, yeah, totally different. Yeah, that was a huge shift in them, but like that's what started it. And then Nolan was just making it even more realistic and grounded from that. It's like that Watchmen meme. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. He was making more realistic from the Schumacher stuff. Then the Snyder comes in with the, you know, very 
you know, he's got the Superman and Justice League. They're very tied into the the universe type of thing. And, you know, we've had several episodes talking talking about that. But essentially, you know, due to a lot of the interference from WB, that doesn't really work for general audiences. So now we're back to resetting it back to being grounded again. So it's it's always something that comes up just like in that in that meme. Um, and then, you know, we also have to cover the fact that Nolan takes other things from it, just as much as Reeves takes, takes from other things. We've got the love interest being rescued by Batman, and Batman takes her into the Batmobile and takes her to the Batcave. That, like, whole sequence in both 89 and Batman Begins. Pretty That's much is true. from there. We've got true. the corrupt cops looking like slubby, unshaven versions of Bullock in both movies. We've got <laughs> Lieutenant Eckhart and... And Detective Flash. Detective Flash in Nolan's film looks closer to Lieutenant Eckhart in Batman 89 than he does to his actual comic book character. He doesn't that look anything true. like the comic book character. He looks closer to Lieutenant Eckhart. And then, I mean, Nolan didn't invent the suit-up sequence. That's all from Tim Burton. Like Definitely, definitely. Tim Burton's created that sequence for, Bat for Batman. We got Joel Schumacher kind of continuing the, the tradition. Nolan just continued the tradition. Snyder... And Reeves are the ones who break that tradition. And then, That's true. you know, Dark Knight, Joker at the conference table full of gangsters in both movies. We got Joker on the streets <laughs> being like, come on, hit me. In That's both true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got Batman firing machine guns from the Batwing, which I pointed out to you before, which is mm -hmm. also in the Dark Knight. And Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And then, hell, we've even got a bit of Joel Schumacher in there because both Two-Face in the Dark Knight and Batman Forever fall to their deaths, get killed by Batman after a hostage situation, and the coin lands on the good side. So, yeah. again, if you're going to say that Reeves took from Nolan, you also have to admit Nolan took stuff from the other previous versions, because this is just stuff that repeats over and over again. It, it's it almost seems, as it, if there's works. a tradition amongst <laughs> these filmmakers, yes. and they're, they're tackling the same source material, ultimately. Yeah, yeah I'd say so, too. You know, people, people are like, oh, Riddler does video messages like Joker does in The Dark Knight. And I'm sitting here being like, you mean how Riddler communicates in Batman the Animated Series and the Arkham games in Zero Year? He's not the That's... only one who communicates through video messages. Yeah, you know? and he's, I mean, it, it works with him trying to like drop clues and shit mm -hmm. and play with the media. Like Joker's just total chaos, yeah. but yeah. yeah, it's just slightly different. I mean, visually, yes, it's kind of, it's pretty much the same, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little yeah. different. So it's also enough. kind of just like, is it aping Nolan or is it just that Nolan came up or most famously had that type of scene? Yeah, and then I don't now think we get something Nolan similar. didn't make up a fucking guy in a <laughs> fucking, uh, you know, phone footage kind of shit. Yeah, like, I he know. didn't make that up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, as I've said before, if there's anything, any previous media that I think Reeves is deliberately drawing off of, it's not Nolan. It's Batman 66, so let's go over it one more time. I took another look at this cowl, and I know that Sean Reeves on our show didn't like the thick nose on the cowl, and I got used to it in the movie, but I realized why I got used to it. It's Adam West's cowl. Dude, the square look at nose. It's so close, yeah. The square nose is right out of Adam West. No other, all the other guys in between didn't have that. It was all just the line in between. That's like right, in the, that's um, right. In the regular stuff. And Rene Valdez, one of our uh, fans and patrons, uh, commented this saying quote another batman 66 callback pattinson's cowl has the same face sh shape as west's just with longer ears down to the square stitching on the nose using batman 66 as almost a visual metaphor for a more hopeful batman that not only strikes fear into criminals but also provides comfort to the innocent i love that 
It's great. Well I said. think when I, the second time I saw it too, I could have sworn some of the lighting made it seem like he had the fucking eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> like there was some slight lighting. Uh, I don't know, man. Like yeah, it was just real quick, but it was my mind maybe playing tricks on me. But it kind of has the brows just built yeah, in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then according to the production notes, the design for the Batmobile is meant to evoke the 1966 car because they both got the red part on it. And they've also got the wings in the rear. And this is also the first Batmobile on film since the Schumacher films to not have guns in them. Hell Bale yeah. had guns. Affleck had guns. Both definitely had guns <laughs> in those tanks. Pattinson has no guns in it. The way it should be. Uh, the all-black <laughs> look of it also echoes the unmade version of the Batmobile that was originally all matte black until George Barris added the red. So there's a bit of that too. Also, I noticed another thing when I rewatched it. Andy Serkis' Alfred uh, wears glasses at one point, which is not unique necessarily to his Alfred. Pretty much all the other film Alfreds have worn glasses, but it's the specific combination of glasses plus the white beard or the white facial hair that does remind me of Alan Napier's Alfred. He's the only other one with that combination. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Yes. Uh, some other fans brought up that the main... Six foot seven. Yes. Alan Look Napier. at him towering well, over him. Yeah. Adam West got boots on, right? So like he's a little <laughs> taller than normal. So this yeah. guy's tall as hell, man. Alan Napier was the badass Alfred before yeah. they started turning Alfred into a badass. That's right. Fencing champion. Yes. Uh, and archery, yes. <laughs> and archery, yes. So... Robin Hood. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, what else did he do? Also dressing up as Batman, you know. <laughs> Master of disguise. Boxing. Boxing. He just punches Boxing. Penguin in one episode. Old yeah. fisticuffs. Pennyworth himself. I kind of wish we saw Circus in some sort of action. Maybe in the sequels. We'll see. Um, Man, you know Circus our, could do it. He would just you know he hobble, can, yeah. hobble that leg on over to something yeah. and fucking... Or use the cane. He would use the fucking uh, venom juice, bro. <laughs> <laughs> then he could walk. I'll tell Precious. you that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of our other fans brought up that the maid Dory reminded them of Aunt Harriet in the 1960s. Dude, I was wondering, like, just fucking name her that, man. If you I know, that right? 66 shit in it, and you got some yeah. or other, like, older yeah. woman come in, fucking, like, and talk to Alfred like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cinematic says, was Dory a callback to the Aunt Harriet character? And Renee Valdez again says, I took her as being the composite Aunt Harriet, even had her near a, a Shakespeare bust which yeah, we pointed yeah. out last time. Um, also, I thought about this too, where, you know, in The Dark Knight and in The Batman, we have Batman fighting in a nightclub. But in The Dark Knight, we can kind of just presume he snuck his way in as opposed to Pattinson kind of just knocking on the door and walking through the front door. And then I realized, what was the last time I saw Batman just walk through the front door of a nightclub in live action? Wasn't Snyder, Nolan, Schumacher, Burton? Oh yeah, it was the pilot of 1966. <laughs> In high diddle riddle. The bat Batusi? Yeah, he's about to do the Batusi, and Pattinson's about to beat some ass. So that just shows the differences in the takes here. But another. Yeah, I don't know if Pattinson connection. could have done the Batusi, but <laughs> whatever. I wouldn't have put in the past them to do like some sort of thing where he does has to do some sort of Batusi thing in order to get, <laughs> in order to do a fighting move. <laughs> that would have been maybe a little too much. A little man. too much, I, don't know. I know. Yeah. Uh, Selena Kyle is also African-American, which harkens back to the first time she was African-American with Eartha Kitt in the 1960s show. Mm -hmm. uh, and then let's also recap all the other 66 references we talked last time. 
Pete Savage, the commissioner, was also a character in Batman 66, also named Pete, Cat- Pete Savage. We've got the Shakespeare head at Wayne Manor. We've got Batman flat out walking or running down the side of a building or up a building, yeah. as he usually does in 66. Also, back to Jackson Putnam, a uh, fan of the podcast, he noted on his Instagram stories that the music that plays when Batman fights the Riddler followers, the brass in the background plays two notes over and over and over again, which sound very similar to the Batman, Batman. Really? The 1960s show. Check I it out. I hear that again. A Bat in the Rafters Part 2. I'll send it to you. Once you once you hear it, it's it's unmistakable. Like there's and again, this is Michael Chikino. He flat out just did an orchestral version of the animated Spider-Man <laughs> theme in Spider-Man Homecoming. So That's true. Yeah, that's true. He's not above just being like, Yeah, let's just throw in this little tribute. And I'm like, dude, if you threw in the hefty Batman theme subtly into this action sequence, more power to you. That's amazing. That's uh, it's cool, man. It's yeah. it's just so interesting how you have the the lightest Batman just have a lot of its DNA in this darkest Dark. Batman so exactly. far. It's so yeah. it's so weird. Yeah. Uh, this is also the first movie since Batman sixty six where no one finds out Bruce Wayne is Batman. The only person who knows the whole movie is Alfred, but like mm-hmm. Selina never actually finds out. Riddler okay. seems like he knows, but doesn't, and so we have mm-hmm. not actually had that since Batman sixty six. And uh, as I said last time, it's the first movie since Batman 66 to have all four of the major villains of Riddler, Catwoman, Penguin, and the Joker. I did get it slightly wrong last time, by the way. Matt Reeves did not take a picture of Joker, Catwoman, Penguin, and Riddler from the Batman 66 exhibit. But he did take a picture of the Eartha Kit Catwoman, Riddler, Julie Newmar, and Penguin with a little Mm -hmm. bit of Mad Hatter in the background uh, because that's just how it was laid out. But still, it doesn't change the fact that this movie has a lot of William Dozier in it especially compared to all the other different takes on it so to me the batman is not nolan 2.0 it's david fincher meets batman 66 and somehow (laughs) reeves makes that work i know man that's (laughs) crazy huh yeah yeah that is what we got in terms of the different historical and cinematic references what did you think anything that really surprised or shocked you um i mean what you just said about the brass doing the yeah, that's true. I'll the send that to Dozier, you the Batam West thing yeah. is pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this whole episode, uh, you know, I like talking about this kind of stuff because this is like, you know, movie history. Went to school for film, so did you, and mm-hmm. so it's just like you can kind of combine more of like film in general passion with Batman passion, and of course, Batman film. So, uh, so yeah, I. You know, I had a good time. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what be like. The, the what was your favorite thing in in your to research discover? for this? I mean, yeah. part of it was that observation from Jackson on the uh, Batman sixty six stuff. Um, yeah, the Batman sixty six stuff in general. You know, the more I found, the more I was just like, holy shit, there is a lot of Batman sixty six in this, and it's done in such mm-hmm. a cool way. And I've always kind of wanted to see somebody update some of the mm-hmm. stuff that's specific to the Dozier verse and put it into like a modern update type of thing. Um, that's a little, you know, more of a serious update, not necessarily yeah. what Schumacher did in, in doing an update with the comedy, but an update of, of bringing those elements into sort of a more traditional take, uh, a traditional dark take on it. So mm-hmm. um, I'd say that and some of the connections to the movies, I think I, I really enjoyed just diving into some of these. Some of these I hadn't seen before. Some of these I had seen before, kind of had an excuse to rewatch them. I pretty much saw most of all these movies I covered here in preparation for the Batman. What was um, your favorite new one you saw? Was it Clute? 
It was probably Clute, yeah. Honestly, Clute? like I'd okay. seen, you know, I'd seen Taxi Driver and French Connection yeah. and Chinatown and Godfather. I'd seen all those before. Christine is just kind of like okay, or yeah, Christine's okay. It's not. I don't think it's as good as Clue. I'm more of a crime thriller mystery guy than a horror guy, anyway. So that, mm-hmm. that's part of it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Christine's not bad. Um, you can, you, it's definitely at least worth watching the scene where it's on fire and comparing mm-hmm. that to the Batmobile thing. It, it doesn't quite have the same elaborate chase scene because it's a very different movie, but it, it has that visual. So right. uh, it's worth checking out for that. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. Uh, let us know, guys, if you want this type of episode for Tim Burton stuff or Christopher Nolan stuff. We did do one already for Snyder in the Patreon, uh, but we could easily do this type of stuff with like the film noir and German expressionist influences on Tim Burton or you know, the Michael Mann stuff for Nolan. There's a lot of like other movies in the Nolan movies, you know, James Bond type stuff in there. All so all over it. We did, yeah. a, did a Patreon on that. And that was just one, James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> that was one Patreon. We were like, we really got to put this in the main show. Remember we had those comments. Yeah. yeah. We have to talk yeah. about our Patreon people about that first. But <laughs> <laughs> have a, have a council meeting, but yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, so that is pretty much what we got on the docket. Let us, let us know if you want us to do a similar type of episode. But until then, that is superhero stuff you should know. Big thanks to our research assistant, Dan, for gathering visuals on this, some of which I asked him to gather before he saw the movie, but didn't tell him why. Uh, but now he knows why. So uh, as a little bit of a post-credits thing, I do have a few deleted scenes from the Batman. So... Oh, Apparently, they had oh yeah, I remember seeing as, this. Yeah. yeah, Superman and Bat, Superman and Wonder Woman had basically were Halloween costumes. I think people were walking around in them, and there were set photos of people being like, "Oh my god, like Superman and Wonder Woman, like do they exist in this universe?" Because it's clearly Halloween costumes. I don't think anyone thought they were actually showing up in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, lo and behold, they're not really in the movie. So I think maybe Reeves is just fucking with people because I think he has been on record of like deliberately shooting fake scenes in order to throw people off. So yeah, that might be kind of it. high profile movie, man. Like it's, it's just kind of yeah. needed these days, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, there's also this shot now. Yes, he does wear the sunglasses in the movie, but this specific shot of him reading the newspaper with the sunglasses is not in the movie. So I'm curious. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't know if there's more to the scene that we saw. Cause it, the scene is basically, you know, he talks to Alfred about the cipher, eats the berries, Dory comes in being like, the Wayne Enterprises people are here, and then we just cut to them in the Batcave. So I'm like, is there a scene with him talking to the Wayne Enterprises people with the sunglasses, and he's just like busy reading the newspaper, and they're trying to talk to him about the business? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the possibility. True. So That's interesting, that's man. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, his little Matrix yeah. sunglasses. Yeah. So there's that, and then Fucking we a. also got the shot of Bruce at the funeral with a bag in his hand, which is also on the poster. But it's not in the movie. So Shit, what's he carrying, dude? He's carrying the bat suit. I think oh, I, okay. here's my theory on this, because when he leaves the car with a valet to go into the funeral, he's empty handed. It doesn't make sense for him to, to carry a bag in with him. But he does see the envelope that says to the Batman when Colson crashes through. So I think what happens afterwards is everybody rushes out. But Bruce stops by his car, grabs the bag with the bat suit in it, and he's just rushing to a place where he can change. And then the next scene would have been him showing up, walking in, and trying to help Coulson. So that's okay. my theory on that. And then the last one is this from the behind-the-scenes 
stuff. You can tell because of the cameras here. But it's shirtless Pattinson basically throwing over a whole bookshelf of stuff, probably enraged due to knowing what Thomas Wayne did or at least coping with Alfred being injured, that type of stuff. I think somebody on Twitter joked, no, this is just how Pattinson prepares for a scene. But I think this is uh, this is a cut moment of him letting his rage out. So, they, Well, this reminds me, man, all the stuff that was cut. In film school, they tell you a movie's written three times. Once on the page, mm-hmm. once in production, and once in the editing room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's just how this works. Like you, you find, a lot of movies are found in the editing room, man. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's just how it goes. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see these scenes. Uh, and then there's another one that we can talk about on the Patreon, but it's basically a scene that was supposed to set up the unseen Arkham prisoner. So that does make it interesting because I always, I felt the additional scene of the Joker in this movie is just like, it's kind of lacking in like, like an oh shit reveal to him. And then Matt Reeves revealed, oh, like he actually had a previous scene earlier in the movie that we cut. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That's where the oh shit reveal was supposed to be. That's where they filmed. That? One more time. I'm sorry. I missed it real quick. Oh, shit. Reveal about what? The Joker. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. 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 So yeah. uh, we'll see. But I'll dive more into that in the Patreon. Anyway, okay. let's go into some of the fan comments. I included a lot this time, but just some additional ones. Uh, this is on basically the last one on this movie. Jerry Young says, yes, it was Pete Savage saying happy fucking Halloween. I, dude, right, my memory. Uh, yeah. I, I, when I saw it the second time, I, I was like, oh, yeah. How did I? I remembered it wrongly. I don't know. It's just because the penguin had such a strong. He seems uh, like he'd be the type impression. Of yeah, and he says like most of the cool shit in the movie. <laughs> he does, and that's one of the cool the lines. lines. So my brain was like, oh yeah, he had that cool line too. But that's not. Yeah, it was fucking Pete Savage. So yeah. Thanks to our uh, fans for letting us know on some of the stuff, yes. including Sketch Project says, "I'm not Italian, but my friend is, and Falcone's last name is apparently pronounced Falcone." So I guess all the movie versions are wrong. <laughs> the the I could see this because I'm I've never studied Italian, but I'm pretty sure it, it's probably the E is like E. Yeah. So Falcone. Yeah. You know, remember it's an Italian accent, not Italian American accent either. So mm-hmm. like it's uh, yeah, I could see that, but it them being like basically New York Italians in Gotham, they're gonna say Falcone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So thanks, yeah. Sketch Project, for that. Yeah. Last one comes from a an email from Paul G. Thanks, Paul. Uh, thank you, Paul. I, I just thank saw you, everybody our, else. I saw from our <laughs> inbox, Paul also emailed us during this recording about uh, the, the whole whether or not it's Venom or Adrenaline thing. At this point in the podcast, I think you figured out what our, our stance on that is. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he said, I just watched your non-spoiler thoughts on the Batman on YouTube. First off, I saw it this morning. Would give it a solid 9 out of 10. FYI, the 1995 movie 7 is one of my favorite top five films ever. So it makes sense. I love the Batman. Morgan Freeman, as Detective Somerset, could have walked into a scene and looked like he belonged. I agree. All the cast mm-hmm. were great. Riddler was awesome. He stole the scene in Arkham when he was talking to Batman through the screen. The car, when he started on the Batmobile the first time, our cinema shook. It was perfect for this movie. Now a question. This was a really dark, in a great way, gritty, realistic, violent, etc. So can you explain why there was so much hate given to Zack Snyder for his mm-hmm. dark vision, mm-hmm. for his mm-hmm. characters? His DCU movies were not this dark or violent, yet they were reworked and shortened. Why wasn't BVS Ultimate Edition in the cinema? It was the same length as the Batman. Same with David Ayer's vision for Suicide Squad. Why did they have to be lightened up by WB for the cinema? 
It seems a double standard that a three-hour ultra-realistic dark and violent Batman gets released no problem after what Snyder and Ayer have gone through. Would love to hear your discussion slash thoughts on this. Mm. Uh, let's dive into that before we get to his PS. But um, mm. I Go think ahead. we have. I think we have to account for the fact that Snyder wasn't dealing with just Batman. He was dealing with Superman and setting up team-up movies. His Superman's already criticized for being too dark in Man of Steel, so that criticism gets carried over. And then BVS is the first major non-Marvel team-up. And the president for Marvel team-up movies, or team-up movies in general, are the Avengers movies. And those have a very different tone. So we've already got public perceptions of Superman and superhero team-up movies working against BVS compared to Batman's solo movies already are known to have dark crime thriller interpretations with the Dark Knight and now Joker before the Batman. So I don't necessarily see it as a double standard so much as the fact that Snyder has to work with these elements that people expect to be much lighter. If Snyder just did a solo Batfleck movie, I think it would have been different. I think and if it was the same exact thing of him, like, you know, doing some of the same stuff, just not with Superman, who's just doing the same thing against Joker or whatever. I don't think we would have run into this problem. I think it was because of the fact that they were trying to set up a universe. They were trying to compete with Marvel. The studio really wanted to dip their hands into something like that, that it became an issue. And I also think that we have to account for some level of, of learning from your mistakes between that time <laughs> and now where they've given, you know, they gave Todd Phillips mostly free reign. They gave Reeves mostly free reign on this one. I think there's an element where it's just like, all right, we fucked up earlier and trying to interfere so much. We should just let these creatives do their thing uh, on that. Of course, there's a whole other, you know, war, it seems, between WB and, and Snyder on that type of stuff. But my stance on this is that, like, I don't necessarily see it as a double standard because of the fact that uh, there's other perceptions of different characters you've got to bring in to BBS that you don't really have to do with the Batman who's already expected to be dark and stuff um so what do you think andrew i pretty much agree there's it's just a lot going on here so yeah the there's also just in general timing you have like one 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 really clear example is like uh deadpool probably wouldn't have been that good if it came out on its own outside of a billion other superhero movies he you need like a lot of like more or less straightforward takes uh, to create an environment and the timing for a Deadpool-like movie. Uh, mm -hmm. So with this movie, too, you've, it comes out after Joker, um, which is a huge hit, and it's that's, Joker's probably even darker than this movie, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so like, it has that going for it. Yeah, and there's no Superman either. Um, for some reason, like, Snyder's just so polarizing. He has, like people just hate his slow-mo like dude really you're gonna fucking just hate he's, he's yeah. trying to highlight his action sequences man like mm. it just doesn't to me that's just be, it's beyond me but yeah but i'm a fan of the slow-mo shit but anyway um and i guess like i don't know like it's trying to be a neo-noir as much as it is trying to be a batman movie like it's the same mm -hmm. the same amount of efforts put into that those yeah. two things but with Snyder uh, he's just trying to make fucking Frank Miller man you know <laughs> yeah. the best yeah. he can and like 
And he had, like we've talked about before, he had Wall Street breathing out his neck. Once you saw Unfiltered Snyder with Zack Snyder's Justice League, you yeah. kind of can see what he can do, you know. And also another thing that's real meta, but like the Wall Street stuff and everything. But like since then, they've changed. Um, Warner Brothers has changed their uh, their um, CEO or whatever uh, once, maybe twice. Um, and I think Walter Hamada stepped down also. So there's also all that going on. And um, but I think the other part of your question though is the pot outside of the meta company level stuff. What is um, why do what does the popular audience seem to be okay more or less with mm-hmm. with this? movie rather than Snyder's dark take why this dark take over that dark take why and it's I just Snyder never got his full vision for one except for well Zack Snyder's Justice League but mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't know man I I don't know what it is but I guess the neo-noir take just feels more artsy in a good way and people want to accept that, and I think that's it's that just factor too. Yeah. it's it's different enough. And uh, Snyder feels like at times, especially when Wall Street fucks him over, feels like Michael Bay Part Two sometimes. Mm-hmm. And even though, he, in my opinion, he's much better than it's Michael much Bay. Yeah, much yeah, much smarter, and you know, mm-hmm. seems to like the source material and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you know, people often liken Michael or Snyder to Michael Bay. So um, mm-hmm. I think all that's kind of woven together, you know? Yeah, yeah. I will say this. Technically, Pattinson and Affleck have the same arc in their respective movies. They both have. <laughs> Hear me out. So they both have Batman who are kind of hopeless and angry, violent. They scare both the criminal element and the innocent they protect. But they both sort of have an epiphany later on in terms of realizing they're becoming what they hate. And then they strive to become something more, something more hopeful, more optimistic by the end. It's technically the same arc. However, it's execution that I think is the issue. Mm-hmm. Execution of, of one is very different from the other. Execution of one seems to be more accepted than, than the other or more clearly illustrated, uh, I think. So it, it's, it's a case where it, we kind of have to see that ideas aren't necessarily the end-all be-all. It's execution of those ideas, kind of similar to all the different connections we pointed out uh, between this Batman to the other versions of Batman. There's a lot of Batman 66 ideas in here. Execution, completely different. Yet it still works. Right, yeah. No, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Snyder uh, and Affleck, man, they just got fucked with the timing, yeah. too. Just totally mm-hmm. screwed over. yeah. I think you needed I, that like in between period after Nolan because everybody was just like Nolan's Batman like nobody can top this type of thing and so you kind of needed somebody anybody afterwards was going to inevitably be shot on I think. whether that's like shot on by the studio or the fans of both in this case let's just let's just hope producers and the Wall Street people they've seen BVS and the first Suicide Squad and what that did mm-hmm. now they've seen Joker the hell they've seen Aquaman Shazam made enough money to warrant a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've seen this, the Batman, have a really good opening weekend. 
Mm -hmm. You know, if these people, all they see is money, well, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it does boil down to that, especially if you're going to make another one. Um, You know, like, now they have concrete fucking examples of what fucking works in their universe, their sandbox, their characters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, God, hopefully just don't make this mistake again. And they can, like Steve Jobs said, in order to beat Microsoft, we don't need to beat Microsoft. Yeah. We got to beat Apple. You know, we're not trying to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Another example, Nintendo does not have to compete with Sony and Microsoft. They do this fucking whole other thing, man. They're, they're, mm-hmm. Their games are sold in the same fucking stores, but they have a total... They damn near don't compete because their demographic demographics so different. Mm-hmm. So, like, they go... They, if DC takes this artistic approach... Uh, as far as like, I mean, look, we all love Marvel. Fucking No Way Home, fucking ruled. But the the whole MCU is kind of shot like a TV show. I don't mean that in a bad way, but they're all shot very similarly uh, in order to create a consistent tone and everything. So mm-hmm. I get it. I'm a slut. I like it all. I like DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and like, but D, what DC can do different in their sandbox is these um what they keep talking about and they they're kind of doing it they're um director led creative led uh you know everything's they were not connected but our movies are all you know they have more of a uh uh unique vision to themselves mm-hmm. so it's a it's a way that they can compete it's a way that they can be apple it's yeah. a way they can be nintendo you know yeah, so that's what they should do yeah uh, last, at the end, says uh, Paul says, P.S. I had two issues why I dropped it to a 9 out of 10. The main one was the unnecessary cameo, sort of, <laughs> of the Joker talking to the Riddler in Arkham. It wasn't needed at all. Though, I feel like that scene's getting a little bit too much of a bad rap from people because at a certain point, I'm just like, we are complaining about a Joker tease in the first Batman movie out of like two, three, or four Batman movies this year. I think we are spoiled as fuck. Uh, but also... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But also, I, I'm just like, I would argue we are not just teasing Joker, we're teasing the Joker-Riddler team-up. And that's something that's new. That's true. Since 1966. That would be, um, that'd be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, how, does yeah. Joker, how does Joker fuck over Riddler? Riddler is... Mm-hmm. They're both mentally <laughs> ill, I guess, but yeah. it's just like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? One's a little bit worse than the other, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Not to rag on you, Paul, on that. There's just something that, that came up to me when I was mm-hmm. reading that. I'm just like, yeah, everyone's been saying that, but now I feel almost bad that we kind of said something similar last time because I'm like, it wasn't that bad. Uh, it's not like movie ending or anything. It's just yeah. like, it, it, if you're trying to see a, you're just comparing it to a watertight, you know, 10 out of 10 movie in your mm-hmm. head. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's probably takes away from it being a 10 out of 10. So yeah, I understand this comment yeah Paul says the second was the ripoff of a scene from seven where they find the Riddler's journals in his apartment it's almost exactly the same scene as in seven even some of the lines were the same I love the inspiration from that movie but that scene was just outright copied I saw seven I rewatched seven after I rewatched the Batman I don't remember specific lines however being taken I do like it is obviously very similar they find the guy's journal it's very similar handwriting it's his deranged ramblings you know, the black cop reads an entry from it. Like, it's it's pretty much that. <laughs> but I don't remember outright lines being copied. I, I didn't see it as being a long Halloween Godfather situation. But I might be wrong, because you probably know the movie better than I do, Paul, when it comes to 7. So let me know. 
Some people brought up the fact that they didn't like how they had to read every letter out loud. And, like, I get it. It's not normally what would happen, but it's like, especially being American audiences, they just won't... They won't take a shot of the letter for people to read it. Like it, it's just, it's just cinematically I, or whatever. They want to fucking just have it be read. You know. I was just also thinking about the blind people. Oh yeah, you see that? That's yeah. also yeah. What do you call it? Accessibility or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ableist fucks. I feel like that's that's why a lot of times you see somebody or you hear somebody read it. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Very rarely is it just like a long thing for somebody, especially if it's like really important. If it's just like see you tonight or something, it's yeah. usually don't hear somebody read it. But if it's a long thing, especially this Riddler stuff, it's important for the plot. Yeah, it's dude, it's fine. It's we're yeah. watching a guy in a bad suit, like just yeah. fucking, you know, it's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for the fan comments. We had a lot that we uh, did this this uh, week on it, but uh, thank you guys for leaving that. Over to the shoutouts. Oh, shit. Wait, there's one more. I got here. I'm oh, going to save that for another time. <laughs> oh, man. That never happened before. <laughs> you got way too many this time. Coming soon to HyperX.com, HP.com, and more fine retailers, the HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into action. The dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X spatial audio provide reduced distortion, allowing you to hear audio cues with pinpoint precision. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The new HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. Over to the fan comments. Guys, we are, I'm going to say, we're dangerously approaching the point at which I don't read them all. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to, and this is a good problem to have. This is the fucking best problem to have. Yeah. Uh, So thank you for, I'm probably going to do, I'll do them all a day, but just to let you know, I'm probably going to start doing just the new ones. Yeah. Okay. You know? So, okay, here we go. (laughs) Shasta Leom O. Oh, these are Patreon supporters, by the way. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters who are Shasta Leom O, Super Inframan, Douglas P, Dan D, Aaron Willett, Nick Noach, Jeffrey R, Asker's Web, Alex of the What Mean Podcast, Ian Justice, Jared P, Jamie H, Rochelle L, Skylar, TD, Sketchcraft, Braxton W, Renee V, JD, Logan Wood, who is Shane Helms, 121 on Instagram, and Griffin W, Daniel V, Pete B, Halsey C, Maurice D, and Jonathan. That's my middle name, actually. Um, thank you. I know it's really common, but yeah, there you go. It's like, those <laughs> um, <of> you. <laughs> You're just feeding the Patreon. It's me. <laughs> and me. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and then we want to thank our other supporters who are Spark Again, SECC Productions, Robert Schumann, Kukin Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B., Shamrock Balls, Ian H., Walter the Wobot, John Wells, Rye Guy, Jackson Putnam, Tway N., Watson, who was stage bat on Instagram. Joey, who was w.media on Instagram. Paul G. And Derek O. All right. Moving on from that man to more Batman. No, okay. So um, <laughs> please join us uh, at the Shasta Army. That's the $1 tier on patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. The $1 tier gets you that shout out. And... Um, 
Yeah, get you the shout out for the first. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But how many times you get it for a new one? Um, <laughs> or or it'll be a writ. Let's say a written. It, you'll a, at least see it in the YouTube. A first that? verbal, and then after that, it'll continue as written. I don't know. We'll, we're figuring it out as we go along, guys. But let us know how you feel about feel about that. But it's gonna. If this good problem continues, it's gonna be kind of a long read. You know what I'm I mean? A Thirty so, minute outro. <laughs> I would. I mean, shit. Maybe, we're already you there. Know, yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. So, yeah, let me know what you think in the comments and all that, and the Patreon comments, too. So, <laughs> anyway, it's a conversation we'll have with the Patreonites, especially. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so a uh, $5 tier gets you a whole other show. This is re- where the Batmobile's tires really, the rubber meets the road here. Um, mm. So, uh, this is the really the tier we want to highlight, and this is... Um, cancel any time of course but this is a whole other show this show that you're listening to now is every monday but this uh, other patreon show is every friday it's deeper dives um you, this the the main youtube show is a deep dive the patreon show is an even deeper dive okay that's really how we think of it so then we have the ten dollar tier and that is the one dollar tier plus the five dollar tier and then, uh, but the monthly meetup is what you can join at this tier as you meet up once a month. And it's kind of like, basically like Zoom, you, uh, you know, interact with us and we have a topic to discuss, a topic at hand, and we just kind of shoot the shit as well. So um, there's that. And then we got our merch, which is at superhousepod.redbubble.com and superhero stuff pod.threadless dot com and get all the stuff which is the bin man the indeed wizard the zacula zach will come back at some point i don't know we'll figure that out <laughs> we'll figure that out also <laughs> you just had a kid so we don't know what the, see him in 18 years yeah we, we don't know what's going to happen with that honestly but <laughs> just being honest with the fans here but <laughs> he'll, he'll come back at some point uh, so so yeah and uh yeah, we got mugs, shirts, shower curtains, and uh, other shit, too. I think we got phone covers and shit, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. all the shit that you find on those sites, Threadless and Redbubble. So, if there's something you're missing, like, think like, like we had a fucking, um, you know, an option to choose a fucking clock. But I don't feel like oh. most people put clocks in their fucking um, no. houses anymore, so I didn't click on that. But we could do it if you want. If you guys really <laughs> want a clock of our faces. <laughs> of, our, of the art by Stefan yeah. Santa Cruz of yes. us then uh yeah let us know <laughs> but, um but yeah so uh please send us some audio to superhousepodcast at gmail.com we always want more uh and then thunderwolf drew on instagram and twitter is me thunderwolf lives also was more of my uh like japanese and gaming related stuff on on youtube i need to update it more but there it is Thunderwolfdrew.com is my whole portfolio. Amanorecon.com. That's A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. It's an original idea. We debuted the uh, teaser trailer. 17 seconds. If you have 17 seconds to spare, it's on the episode previous to this. Plus, it's on the Amanorecon.com page, right on the front page there. Uh, But also, of course, on our YouTube channel, on the Amanorecon.com YouTube channel. Um, it is basically the the quick pitch is R-rated Power Rangers meet Stranger Things, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but much but again, let's remember it's R-rated, and it's it's when I say Power Rangers, I don't mean it's a fan film either because there are a fucking shitload of Power Rangers fan films, 
<laughs> which is fine, but this is uh, just an original idea. I'm just trying to get the point across real quick to people. So that's that. We're working on that. There's going to be an Indiegogo campaign soon. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. We're going to do one more day of pickup shots next month, um, which will is April at this time. And we will finish the campaign video finally. What happened was, what what made it so long was we shot overnight. We thought it was going to be just one night. And to my absolute horror, I see the sun rising as, and we still have like 10 shots left. Mm. And, you know, we just couldn't do it. So it's just, it just kind of fucked us up a little bit. Fucked over by nature. Fucked over by nature, like the fucking sun it's like god damn it man thought this is gonna be uh thought we were gonna get it in one go so anyway mm-hmm. it's coming yep. and there's a teasers out there and things are looking good yep. anyway it for me ben shout out to comma capital on instagram and the everything entertainment club on clubhouse you can follow us on social media on twitter at superhouse pod instagram superhero stuff pod on uh, tiktok superhero stuff pod vero superhero stuff pod my website is benwanwriter.com where you can read different scripts, Gotham Vampire, Elementary, The Death of Sherlock Holmes, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland. Don't need to go much further into what that's about, <laughs> so it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My YouTube channel is in the description below where you can also check out Doctor Who, The Rodent of Time, an audio drama I write, narrate, and edit thumbnail by our assistant Dan. My personal Instagram is benwanwriter. My son's Instagram, my furry orange cat, Alfie Pennyworth. Yes, he is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat. Uh, and if you have an Alfie or any type of cat, like the co-host of the show, then uh, you can get the Whisker Box, the only cat box for the crazy cat lady and gent. But if you have a dog instead, mm-hmm. that's cool of us too, because you can get the Bark Box, y'all. Give your dog exactly what they want. The Bark Box, first month off, free, valued at $35, using the promo link that you can find at superherostuffpod.com slash shop and uh, you can get all sorts of good shit on here you can get whisper bidets for your hiney the ebay stuff or batman merchandise all at superhero stuffpod.com slash shop back to andrew oh man and you know even though you paid us a favor for listening to this for two and a half hours mm-hmm. we still want you to do us a favor we want you to tell all your friends about don't leave home without it.